0: Talk
1: live.
2: Well, what is up, all of our liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. Charles Chuck Thompson, how you doing today? I'm just
3: gonna be a dad today. It's it's another day in paradise. It is. (laughs) I'm better than I was
2: yesterday. (laughs) Are you better than you deserve?
3: Better than I deserve, (laughs) you know.
2: That's good. How about you? I'm I'm doing great, actually. Yeah, you're not a dad. I'm not a
1: dad. Yeah,
2: that's not why I'm doing great. So you're doing great. No, I'm I'm uh, there's a hole in my life that needs fulfillment, and I fill it with uh, the hatred and vitriol that comes along with talking about (laughs) politics, and that is how I drive meaning and purpose in my life. Is by this uh, mythical idea that I'm somehow going to help save the planet, uh, yeah, from its own planet annihilation.
3: Is a mythical idea for sure.
2: Uh, speaking of saving the planet from its own annihilation, what did we do yesterday?
3: We went and saw uh, Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. Did you like it? I did. I did. It was. It was. It was a good movie.
2: I, I, I also enjoyed it.
3: I will say it got a little slow
2: towards the end. It did,
3: and I understand they had to explain a lot of things. But I feel like we could have cut to the chase a little bit on some of that.
2: I would have rather, uh, not for any spoilers or anything, but where we arrived at the very end of the movie, I would have rather they timed that out with the creation of the bomb and everything working uh, to where you had the, the bomb climax. Spoiler alert, the project goes fine. Yeah. Okay, if, mm-hmm. you've, if you've never looked at the History Channel or anything like that, uh, the project went fine. Okay, so if they would have timed out the successful test of the bomb with the actual ending of the movie, because they were cutting back and forth between these things the whole time like, like Christopher Nolan likes to do, that would have been a lot better. You would have had all of that resolve at the, at the same time. Instead, what we got was like another hour after what felt like the climax of the movie mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, how far into this are we going to go? That was so cool, like it, it it was great, but it it did seem to go a little yeah, long in the tooth, as they used to say yeah, but the music and they, whew. and Iron Man was good in it. <laughs> That's his official name. It was about two hours into the movie. Charlie leans over and goes, Is "That Iron Man." <laughs> Like yes, freaking Robert Downey Jr. has been staring you in the face Tony on my screen. Is this right whole time. there. Yeah, it's
3: Tony Stark. Yes,
2: that's who it was. <laughs> okay,
3: because I was like, I know this guy, mm-hmm. you know, but I couldn't figure
2: it out for a while. They age, it's makeup, and, yeah. and and now the, the good news is we do.
3: didn't go down Nate's research rabbit hole of theaters to find the best <laughs> seats and the best everything that leads you down a 4dx
2: path see yesterday's episode for details
3: and so we actually saw we we sat in a you know a smaller imax but Mm -hmm. the sound was incredible it was in your face the like the chairs vibrated not because the chairs have vibrations built into them like a 4dx theater does it's Mm -hmm. because that's how rumbling the sound
2: was the sound was so loud it was so that it was shaking you yes and that is what i felt it in your chest Mm mm-hmm
3: You know, that's when you actually feel like you're a part of the movie. Mm -hmm. I thought I was exploding (laughs) and it was great.
2: Uh, Yeah. Overall, a good movie. Now, Charlie, let me ask you this. Are you, do you have any moral struggle, struggle, struggle? I struggle hard with it, (laughs) man. I'll tell you what. What do you think about the bomb? Should we have dropped it? That's the debate that's starting to unfold right now. What would you have done? And if you would have been Oppenheimer, would you have felt bad And finished out your life talking about how we didn't need to build these things.
3: I, I try to be careful of judging the past by where I sit right now. I like that because it's so easy to look back and be like, well, you know, I would have made the right moral choice. Um, it puts you in an, in an elevated ego sense of, you know, better now. I do think we can reflect on the past and be like, okay, was that a good decision or not? Um, and I think that that's that can be talked about and should be debated. Um, I, I kind of wish we would have never developed these weapons, but if America wouldn't have done it, they probably would have figured it out somewhere else. I mean,
2: it was inevitable.
3: Yeah, I mean, as as science advanced as rapid as you know as rapidly as it did in the last hundred years, I, I think. Obviously, the splitting of atoms or the fusion of atoms now, um, those Mm -hmm. things, somebody would have been like, oh, we can make a weapon out of this, obviously, just like they did with all the other chemistry and physics, physicist experiments that they turned into other weapons. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a dangerous game to play because we can sit here in our chairs in 2023 (laughs) and look back to 1942. And think that we would have done a better job. I have no idea. Also, I'm not as smart as that guy.
2: No, so, definitely not. My um, listen. Inevitably, people are going to make nukes. That's going to happen. And I hate that argument because it's like, well, they're going to do it, so we have to do it. And that argument, it it does suck. Uh, but it is true. People are going to make those nukes. And my biggest problem is, I think they could have tested the. They could have tested the atomic bomb. On a smaller area, like a less populated area, and be like, Hey, Japan guy, go to that mountain and look over there. And uh, I want to show you what we got. And mm-hmm. you show the guy, and he's like, Says something in Japanese to the effect of, I surrender. Holy crap. Yeah. I give up. And um, just and, drop the sun. You'd be like, Yeah, here comes the sun. And <laughs> then you play that song in the background for them. Even though though it hasn't been uh, written yet. And then you're like, okay, do you surrender? And they say no. And so you drop another one. You're like, we got like a hundred of these things, man. You know, They only had two. They probably told them they have way more. Um, And then maybe they surrender and you don't have to kill like 200,000 people. It was
3: like a quarter of a million people.
2: You know, innocent people who weren't fighting... For Japan, not saying that they wouldn't have fought when we invaded Japan and they wouldn't have defended themselves uh, from a foreign invader or whatever. Uh, But that's what I would try first. But of course, that's me trying to go back and change history because I know better or whatever. Well,
3: I would I mean, I default on the side of not going to war or trying to end things in a more peaceful Mm -hmm. manner, you know, like. (laughs) Is. Killing two hundred fifty thousand Japanese people—justification or is it justified? Because you know, three thousand people were killed in, at Pearl Harbor, so we got we got to kill a hundred times more.
2: <laughs> now the the only—and this is a tough one—because we're talking completely hypothetically here. But one of the ideas is that this would stop all the future world wars. Now remember, at that time we had World War One. And then we, we have World War Two, and tons of people died. Lots of people died in those wars. You know, lots of a lot of good men out there. And uh, and then they dropped these, and we do kind of have a period of relative peace compared to the world wars that have been going on.
3: Although the public thought it was peaceful. There yeah. was a long Cold War with Russia.
2: Well, we, had, we had Vietnam, there's the where Korea there was, stuff, there's, you know, we have all our wars.
3: Yeah, but from the 60s to the 90s, I mean, there's 30 years there where... That people were close to pressing the button, yeah, a lot closer than people knew about.
2: I'm just wondering if which could have ignited the atmosphere. I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if mutually assured destruction actually has saved millions of people's lives. We'll never I, know. We I have I no do, idea. Th-
3: I, okay, I do think that there is peace and strength. I do think that. I think that even for your personal life, I mean, and this is something Jordan Peterson talks about, is being nice or passive is not a virtue, right? But being a monster, and then choosing, being capable of being a monster and choosing not to be a monster—that's what's actually virtuous.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And so I think there is, I think there is some of that sentiment. I mean, I wish I wish they weren't created. You know, I don't like human beings dying, but at the same time, I also can understand that there can be peace through strength. I don't think we need to kill a bunch of innocent people to prove that.
2: I think we could have found another way of proving it. Yes, I I do. All right. Let's get into a couple of the um, stories. But I'm,
3: you know, I'm against war.
2: Overall. I'm against death. The moral of the story is when, uh, when, uh, Harry Truman's been drinking, (laughs) you don't, you don't have with him. All right. Yeah. Sorry. You have to go look up Norm McDonald's dirty Johnny joke. One of my favorites Mm -hmm. of all time.
3: I did. I did find it interesting his personal life and.
2: Oh, yeah. All the things that happened
3: there. So that was pretty interesting.
2: I watched a fact versus fiction thing this morning to see, and it seems like they got a lot of things correct. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, go watch the movie. Just be prepared for the last hour to feel a bit slow. But I will tell you, you still come away feeling like it was a good movie if you like Christopher Nolan type movies, uh, of which Charlie and I both do, except for Dunkirk. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> except for except for Dunkirk, that is the uh, the rule. Yeah, I just
3: I do I do really like the cinematography and and the way that he you know directs these films along with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gives. I don't know. It's a it's a powerful experience. He's and one our, of the. I remember like The Dark Knight mm. and, you know, others that he's done. It. it <clears throat> I don't know. If for some reason, it actually gives you like that movie experience that you don't get
2: at other movies he's one of those people where uh you don't normally pay a ton of attention to who the director is of a movie you know it's not like oh there's a new whoever like who direct- top gun was a big movie who directed top gun can you tell me i have no idea no idea at all uh just went and saw mission impossible seven I don't know. Maybe J.J. J. Abrams had something to do with it. There were a lot of lens flares around, uh, so <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, he might have had something to do with it. Yeah. And so he's one of those people where it's like, oh, Christopher Nolan has a movie coming out. It's like an event mm-hmm. that we all wait for every couple of years. There's a there's a Christopher Nolan movie coming out, and yeah. we're going to go see it. So I'm excited. Anytime that happens, I go I, s-
3: I think like an 80s, 90s Spielberg. You're right. Councilman. I,
2: yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And I um, will I go see any movie that he has because it's a Christopher Nolan movie, and I go see it. I don't even care what it's going to be. He could make Barbie too, and I'm going to go see it. Okay, political things that we're going to talk about. Charlie, there could be an impeachment incoming for Joseph R. Biden, but we'll see. Uh, we're going to see what happens when this guy testifies. Devin Archer, a former business partner uh, of Hunter Biden, expecting to uh, describe the alleged damning calls involving the president at an upcoming hearing of the House Oversight Committee. Now, the president, Joseph R. Biden, has said several times that he had nothing to do with his son's foreign business dealings, never talked to him about them at all. And it looks like there could be someone coming forward to testify that he did, in fact, have things to do. Listen, we all know that he had stuff to do. I think Hunter Biden was just working as... Uh, a helper for his dad going around collecting 10% from people. Uh, that's that's what I think mm-hmm. was probably going on. That doesn't mean that I can prove that that's what was going on. Uh, but they finally released, uh, see, Archer's explosive anticipated testimony comes on the heels of last week's release of an FBI informant file that said Hunter and then Vice President Joe Biden coerced a Ukrainian oligarch to pay $10 million in bribes to dodge a corruption probe. Uh, so we all remember that one and they had an FBI informant come forward and of course we never really heard about that and they didn't do much investigating on that
3: we're gonna right? impeach every president from here on out
2: yeah it's possible yeah and they might all deserve it I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying they didn't except for you know the stuff they impeached Trump for they could um, impeach them for all
3: kinds of stuff
2: you know impeach someone for because they like uh, killed a civilian that uh, was innocent overseas. Like, they murdered someone.
3: Unauthorized war
2: crimes. Yes. Uh, There's an impeachable... Impeach them because they forcefully stole people at the... stole money from people at the threat of death, you know? through the barrel of a gun. Uh, But, unfortunately, I guess they're authorized to do that. But, no, they impeached him because he tried to look into this whole Biden corruption thing in Ukraine, you know? And he has to look into why this prosecutor... This person who was investigating Burisma uh, uh, was fired and which Biden was boasting about saying that, well, he was a corrupt guy. You know, we were going to give them foreign aid money and we had to make sure they get rid of these corrupt guys. Well, that corrupt guy also happened to be investigating Burisma, was clearly tied to Hunter Biden and the Bidens. And that guy's gone. And Trump tries to look into that and they impeach him for it. That's kind of weird. Seems a little sus, in my opinion. And then they impeach him over the January 6th thing, which is total BS. Like they just, that was just a virtue. That was a virtue impeachment that they were trying to do uh, right then. So um, what do you think is going to happen? You think we're going to get a Joe Biden impeachment trial before the election? I don't know. Cause I, you see that worries me. Not that I really care that much about all this stuff, except for it is a part of our daily lives, I guess. Um, If they tried to impeach him, I'm worried that that's actually going to help Joe Biden. In the same way that, you know, th- these things all tend to have the opposite effect on people's fan bases. Although it didn't seem to
3: help Trump win.
2: No, didn't help him win. It, it could have. I mean, I think all these investigations right now are one of the reasons he's still so popular. People feel like he's uh, getting persecuted. Yeah. You know, they want to they support him. He's a martyr for the cause of liberty, apparently. Somehow Donald Trump became that person. I yeah. don't know.
3: I mean, we all knew that there was... Well, we all knew and could speculate that there well, with any high-level politician there's dirty games being played mm-hmm. in the background. And so, look, if you've got the if you got the evidence, I say bring it forward. Let's tell the truth. Let's change our whole society over to truth-telling. Wouldn't that be something?
2: That would be fine. Like where you worry about someone having a corrupt past means that they're going to get impeached and so we just stop putting super corrupt people in those places of power, because it turns out we're just going to impeach people if there's any dirt yeah. at all? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's do it. I'm, let's agree. Let's agree to do that all the time. I was going to play a clip of uh, this guy talking, but I don't want to. So let's go on to this. Oh, God. Because that guy talking doesn't matter. Um, good news here. It's not Wednesday, uh, Charlie, but it, uh, this is a story about we're winning
3: Okay. right now. Here you go. It's from the Washington Post. IRS, IRS says agents will no longer knock on taxpayers' doors unannounced. Uh, internal Revenue Service agents will no longer make unannounced visits to taxpayers' homes, the agency said Monday, in a policy shift meant to protect employees' safety amid concerns about potentially irate taxpayers answering the door. <laughs> Since at least the 1950s, revenue agents have knocked on tens of thousands of taxpayers' doors each year, according to agency staff. The new policy will reduce these visits to no more than 500 per year and only under unusual circumstances. Instead of making house calls to taxpayers who have ignored overdue tax notices in the mail, the agency will send letters that instruct taxpayers to schedule a visit with a revenue officer. That's just like going to the doctor. Yeah, you know, it's pretty good. And call, call the office. Schedule your
2: next checkup.
3: Can't wait. <laughs> Safety concerns have long <laughs> dogged the door knockers more than 30 years ago, the IRS uh, said agents were assaulted hundreds of times in a year, making them the most attacked federal law enforcement officers. It even told them they could use fake names for their own protection. Just like the tax collectors in the Bible times, (laughs) hated individuals. Uh, They knock on Jesus's door. He'd invite them in for dinner, man. Come on in. But recent rhetoric from Republicans opposed to last year's increase in IRS funding has raised more concerns about agents showing up an- announced on citizens' doorsteps. Ending the door-knocking practice will help recruit tax experts to work for the agency. These are some of the hardest jobs in government.
2: <laughs> that was a pretty funny line.
3: There is a better way of doing it, IRS spokesman Terry Lemons said.
2: Now I want you to look through all the jobs in government, Charlie. If we could get yeah. a list of government jobs now, there's too many for us to actually look through. But um, millions, the IRS agent who goes to the door to tell you that you owe the government money, one of the hardest jobs out there. I know that
3: you've yeah, because you probably have like a moral conundrum when you go to bed at night. Yeah, being like I'm, I'm federally licensed to <laughs> steal money from these people, who tell me that if they pay their taxes, they won't be able to feed their children, and I don't care about their children.
2: I know that you thought being a lower infantryman stirring a burning pile of sh- with a stick. You can't Dang, say that word. I can't now you have, have to bleep that out. I know. I can't say stick on the radio. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah, I know that you thought that was one of the harder jobs. Yeah, to be a grunt. <laughs>
3: In the government.
2: Yeah. You know, cleaning someone's boot. With your tongue or whatever. I don't know what
3: <laughs> You're not in the military. No. <laughs> I don't know what they do. No,
2: I don't know what they do in the military these days. These so, days they read about like uh, uh, gender theory or something. I don't yeah. i think you got to pass your gender theory test mm-hmm. to be in the military. So um, anyhow, uh, I think I take this as a win. Or city man. sewer workers, you know. Listen, they just said that they're too scared to go to people's houses because people are too mad at them.
3: Boom. Which proves that the federal government really doesn't have that much power.
2: No. Screw these people, man. Yeah. Good. Good. Now, don't actually hurt them. Okay. That's not good. Not a good idea. Not advocating for any violence whatsoever. No. No violence. Go home. (laughs) But the installation of fear in these people's hearts? Hmm. Yes. That is what we got to do. All right, so good job, just so you know the
3: union representing i r s employees pushed for the change now why why would a government agency need a union to represent them to what argue against the government from paying them fairly and stuff? I mean, I don't know why would they need to be unionized. <laughs> They work for the government. You
2: think that the government, being in public service like that, that, there that would, wrote all the
3: regulations yeah. and everything.
2: There would be no problems when it comes to your mm. employment. That you, mm. you would only be treated the best. But it tends to be a lot of public workers are in unions, actually, because they've got the worst employer in the world, Yeah, which is the government.
3: The last one here. The <laughs> safety of IRS employees is of paramount importance, and this decision will help protect those whose jobs have only grown more dangerous in recent years because of false inflammatory rhetoric about the agency and its workforce. (laughs) There's nothing. People lying about them out there. What is inflammatory about telling the truth? Like, yeah, taxation is slavery. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's theft. Yes. It's extortion. You're literally sending federal agents with guns to someone's house saying, you, mm. I deserve to steal this money from you and you can do nothing about it. That's that's literally just the truth.
2: Now, typically I hear when they go to the house the first time to say, oh, hey, you owe us money. They don't have guns with them at that time. They're, they're happier, nicer people at that time. Later, when you don't pay them and they come to put you in a cage for a living, those people bring their guns with them. And uh, so that's not good. All right, uh, Charlie, this should be a dumb bleep submission, but it's too funny to not talk about today. Okay. And so I wanted to make fun of this. Researchers condemn the rise of fascist ideologues after students send mocking responses to an LGBTQ survey. All right, coming up, we are going to talk about hilarious responses to a LGBTQ survey in the STEM fields. Liberty at night on the Free Talk Live Network.
1: Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Unfortunately, due to government meddling, the company that partnered with Dash to offer Dash Direct is leaving the crypto business. However, they weren't the only provider of discounted gift cards for Dash. Bitrefill.com has been accepting Dash for years and has a ton of big name retailers and brands including grocers, gas stations, phone refills, Amazon, and even prepaid MasterCards. You could actually live off your Dash using bitrefill.com. Plus, many of their gift cards come with a discount. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at dash.org. Thanks to the Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash, Dash.org.
2: What's up, y'all? This is Nate and Charlie, Liberty at Night free talk live network all right uh charlie this should be a dumb bleep submission but it's too funny to not talk about today okay and so i wanted to make fun of this researchers condemn the rise of fascist ideologues after students send mocking responses to an lgbtq survey which is fascist just so you know of course Academic researchers condemn students' irreverent and offensive responses to an LGBTQ survey claiming the pushback indicates fascist ideologues are living inside the House of Engineering and Computer <laughs> Science. It's really sad because these are supposed to be like the smart, logical, practical people out there. Mm-hmm. This is not good. In an article for the Bulletin of Applied Transgender Studies, <laughs> academic Academics from Oregon State University wrote about their shock at receiving sarcasm and mockery in response to their research into undergraduate LGBTQ students studying in STEM fields. The team claimed 50 of the 349 respondents to so their questionnaire on the topic contained slurs, hate speech, direct targeting of the research team, or direct targeting of the research team, labeling them malicious respondents. They adapted their project to examine how the joke responses, quote, relate to engineering culture by framing them within larger social context, namely the rise of online fascism.
3: Of course. Yeah.
2: So they were trying to do research on LGBTQ people in the sim fields. They ended up switching their research to the fascists that made jokes and their responses Mm -hmm. back to people. Oh, Let's see. The result was a paper titled, Attack. <laughs> the result was a paper titled Attack Helicopters and White Supremacy Interpreting Malicious Responses to an Online Questionnaire about Transgender Undergraduate Engineering and Computer Science Student Experiences. <laughs> what a catchy title. Oh, it was a catchy title. The paper broke the responses down into themes like demographics, diversity, equity, and inclusion, gender anti-trans, anti-queer, racism, anti-Semitism, and online hate subculture references. Several ansu- several several answers contain profanity and other offensive and obscene language, and many referenced memes. Oh, no. According to the article, when the malicious subjects were asked to fill out demographic data, 12 respondents indicated their gender as being related to <laughs> a helicopter or aircraft ranging from an Apache... Helicopter to a V 22 Os- Osprey.
3: Well, how are they?
2: How do they know? Who gets to decide that? How do they get to decide? Yeah. Come on. That makes no sense. In the section declaring one's disabilities, responses range from claiming to be illiterate to lamenting, my country is run by communists. That's was listed as a disability. <laughs> <laughs> Or even declaring that identifying as transgender is a disability in itself due to the inability to come to terms with biological reality. Ooh, that's fascism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) One respondent claimed to identify as a gift card (laughs) as their gender. Under racial and ethnic identities, they said, I'm an ethnic gift card. And for disability, (laughs) the answer was, I don't have enough gift cards. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>
3: yes. More of this. As Okay. It's like they think that their responses are ridiculous as if the questions aren't ridiculous. Yeah. Like ridiculous questions deserve ridiculous answers. It's, it's true.
2: You yeah. know? Ask ridiculous questions, get ridiculous prizes, as they say. And,
3: and they sit there thinking that they're somehow superior. They it's, asked around and found out. Yeah.
2: You know? <laughs> That's right. Uh, let's see. Other responses to questions. Listen, I, hmm, I went through here to cut out all of the fluff and the entire piece is just glorious like this the yep. whole time. Other responses, to oh, questions keep going <laughs> other responses to questions about identity rejected the researchers project entirely with answers such as quote, my skin color is not important. That's fascism. Come on, man. These questions are stupid. Everyone is a grab bag of genetics from all over the world. That's fascism. And what else do you want to know? What I ate for breakfast? This question is unnecessary. How
3: many times have you gone Mm. to the bathroom in your life?
2: (laughs) Quote, online memes associated with white nationalists and fascist movements were present throughout the data. So memes associated with white nationalists and fascists, it was probably those Pepe the Frog memes or something Mm -hmm. like That's what I'm betting. Uh, were present throughout the data alongside memes and content referencing gaming and nerd culture, the researchers further claimed. The research team declared that the mockery they received... See, this is where it gets serious. <clears throat> they declared that the mockery they received had a profound impact on morale and mental health, particularly for one transgender researcher who was already in therapy for anxiety and depression regarding online anti-trans rhetoric. Mm. Um, Mm, mm, mm. you know, if you're, if you have to go to therapy because you see too much online anti-trans rhetoric and it's creating such a big problem in your life, I would recommend stop going online. (laughs) Go outside and touch grass. Yeah. Because you know what? The algorithms found out what you were looking at and they're going to keep feeding it to you. All right. All right. So just, also if imagine that's where your problem's from, stop.
3: Imagine asking questions and then you don't, like, you don't get the responses that you expect. So this is really a matter of, like, unmet expectations, mm-hmm. which are your fault. They are. For having the expectations. You should send out questions and be curious to know what the answers are. That's what questions are for. Yep. Not to get a specific answer. And then you have anxiety. Well, okay. You have anxiety about it. You know, (laughs) because they act like that they already know the answers, and so when they get things that they don't expect, then they have to shift the focus from being like, from being curious about why they would get responses like that to uh, automatically deeming them as unacceptable, Mm -hmm. fascist, racist. That's why they come up with all these, just these. Instant attacks on you personally as a person rather than trying to argue the ideas.
2: It's also, if you thought their questions were dumb, you're a fascist. You're shut down at that point. Right. You know, and um, they shift the study to that, like what you're saying, because they couldn't just put, well, a large portion of the respondents uh, thought that this was unnecessary. You know, they couldn't. They couldn't do that in their study. And um, it's, it's sad what happened, because the uh, paper claimed that managing the study's data collection caused significant personal distress. And time had to be taken off the project to heal from traumatic harm of having to read students' responses in the survey.
3: Mm. Stop reading them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, these people, you know what, they, they need to, let's just say it in the way that my, uh, my mom would say it. They need to grow a spine, all right. They need to get a backbone and get over it. People said mean things, and you don't like it, and it it damaged your fragile little worldview bubble that you've been living in. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sorry that them having different opinions than you is happening to you right now.
3: They have a fix for this, though, Nate. Oh, <laughs> don't they got the a scho- fix for this?
2: The next the scholars concluded that malicious responses indicate that fascism has become a common ideology. In engineering and computer science academia, they suggested the counter response should be social justice STEM education or STEM. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Folks, it can be tough to know which direction to take in life. For example, you might think doing this podcast was an easy move, but it wasn't. It takes a willingness to work crazy hours, read people's differing opinions and make, well, what you might expect a mid-level libertarian podcast to make. What gets me through is knowing I'm being true to myself and my values. So whether you're dealing with decisions around career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life, so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Therapy made a huge difference in my life, and co-host Charlie's Use BetterHelp help. Four years. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot G-M-L. That includes, quote, perspectives, on online hate radicalization and center anti-colonial intersectional solidarity organizing as its opposition.
3: So now, part of your STEM degree, folks, part of, be, before you can get a degree in science, technology, uh, engineering, or mathematics, you also have to be schooled in social justice, learning about how your participation in online hate radicalization and your anti-colonial intersectional solidarity <laughs> is oppressing yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you can't do math. You see this because is, if you don't, if you don't understand that, if you don't get how math is racist, how can you get a math
2: degree? True. <laughs> this is kind of sad because this is one of the areas of academia a, that hasn't been completely destroyed yet by mm, all of this woke yeah. BS. And now they're coming in and saying, oh, we see that people had sarcastic responses to our woke BS survey that we gave them. So therefore, what we need is a social justice STEM education, just like what we talked about with the woke California math. You know, we need to go in there and teach them how engineering has had disproportionate impacts on indigenous people or something like that. And, uh, and and then yeah. you'll be able to get your STEM degree.
3: Their answer is, like, we don't like what we're seeing, so our, our solution is to indoctrinate people to believe the way that we believe because we don't like their answers.
2: Uh, they, <sighs> they claim their research methods used anti-fascist and trans-queer methodologies to transform the raw data. It's <laughs> like a scientific methodology. Mm, yeah. It's part of the scientific method. To make effective interventions and transformations to our programs and institutions, they described anti-fascism in particular as a framework that connects contemporary fascist movements to the foundation of the U.S. as a racial project, noting elsewhere that white supremacy remains ubiquitous (laughs) in the United States. Yeah, you can just say that. I guarantee you it's because people use that freaking Pepe meme, Mm. that frog somewhere. It's going to be about a frog. Mm -hmm. And the frog's gay. Well, it's the only non-gay frog. It was uh, immune to atrazine.
0: That's That's right.
2: It didn't get turned gay, you know? Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know? That's, uh, people need to live their own lives, and that includes frogs. Okay, I just want to be clear about this. Just reading, like, oh, this is just so infuriating. So, the thing that, remember, we were talking last night. You watched that, uh the barbie review we have well, but hang on. like
3: let yeah. me finish this real quick oh, because you,
2: you well okay you so it, it says here
3: saying the solution for the rise of fascism is to change education itself the team wrote and see this is what they've been doing right we knew that it was going to be a slippery slope and all the all the like real academics have come out and spoke out about this that have lost their jobs etc this is the this has been the goal the whole time right they they want to, first of all, if, they, if you, they disagree with you, they label it as something that uh, they can link back to Hitler and the Nazis and Jews, right? So they'll call whatever it is fascist. Mm-hmm. They don't agree with you. And then they tell you exactly what they're going to do with some fancy words as to make it seem like they're the smart ones that, are, that need to re-educate people. So they said, the team wrote, quote, the university at its most ideal can be envisioned as a central site for revolutionary struggle, <laughs> a site where we can work to educate for critical consciousness using a pedagogy of liberation. That they're telling you exactly like these are indoctrination camps for revolution
2: that you pay a bunch of money that to you go pay to. a
3: bunch of yeah. money to go to Where we will retrain your brain, we will manipulate you into thinking the way that we do and believing all the lies that we tell.
2: If they destroy the STEM fields, uh, like they've destroyed essentially everything else, that's it's really bad.
3: Exactly, Copperhead. It's word salad.
2: It is. None of those things meant anything. It's literally word salad. What you're left after the sentence that Charlie just read is trying to figure out what the heck he just said. And while you are sitting there looking confused, the person who just said it to you feels amazing. Yeah. Because you are confused. And it's your fault that you're confused and that you're not as smart as they it's are said all... while they were talking right. about this. Okay?
3: And then you say, hey, can you clarify that for me? You're like, I have to explain that to you? Why don't you come join my class? And then you'll <laughs> learn something.
2: Yeah. When, uh, this is something we talked about last night uh, with that Barbie movie and... Uh, with a lot of things going on right now, I think people are so hungry for some type of meaning and purpose in their lives that they're creating these strug- these struggles. Like, Listen, if Ben Shapiro's review of the Barbie movie is true, <clears throat> then it is presenting a completely false narrative of the struggle that women are going through in America at the moment to a bunch of children that are going to see the movie. And, and not that there aren't struggles. Not that everything's perfect. Uh, but... For instance, not the, that
3: some men don't oppress women,
2: yeah, because that
3: does happen, and we some have. women oppress men. We
2: all know that as oppressors, like we can <laughs> tell you. Okay, what I think is happening is people are just hungry for some type of meaning, and they've seen they've looked up to people, uh, like people in the civil rights movement and the women's suffrage movement, and they don't have anything to fight for right now because. They don't have the proper principles of, like, self-ownership and individualism. They could be fighting for that if they wanted to actually be fighting the true revolutionary struggle. They could be fighting for individual rights. Uh, but instead, they want to pretend like they're still fighting through the women's suffrage movement because it makes them feel important. And so they they drill down on every single little thing, keep fighting. The same thing with, like, people who still want to be in the civil rights movement, uh, Very, There are valid things that still happen, but we're not still living in the 60s right now. We're not living in the 1860s right now, either. Uh, But I think people have looked up to those folks uh, their entire lives, and they want to be the next generation. Even if there's nothing like that going on right now, they'll make it up. They'll act like it's going on. They'll they'll cosplay the movement uh, so they can feel important about themselves. And um, that's slightly dangerous. It's not great
3: well and if his if if his review is correct in which the movie essentially asserts that women and men are better off alone and separated from each other because they cannot get along because they see the Mm -hmm. world so differently that is so dangerous yeah we are much better off together like men and women have different skills and they are very different but when you bring them together as a team like you can create something like where you can navigate through the world and solve like really serious problems together
4: Mm -hmm.
3: because men and women's solutions are going to be different, but together they make like a wholesome solution that benefits everyone. And so the, the whole idea of the movie, if that's what it's about is completely antithetical to what creates the greatest societies, you know? And this is what like, so to me, this is why Jordan Peterson has been so important in this discussion. Right. He's been calling this out for years. The the fact that we see this world as a a patriarchy and men and women have struggled in this power grab and that the whole history of humankind is men oppressing women to view it from that lens creates dangerous separation. And I'm not saying that as a man, you know, saying, well, I'm lonely and I I deserve to have a woman. I'm not saying that at (laughs) all. What I'm saying is, is that. You have, the chances of becoming a human being are so slim, like one in 420 trillion chance of becoming a human being, um, that if we pit men and women against each other rather than us cooperating and we view history as men and women against each other instead of cooperating, then all we do is just create the destruction of human beings as we know it. That's what eventually what it leads to, because if women are separate over here in their little gossip pod and <laughs> men are separated over here in their, you know, I don't know, woods pod or whatever, they're woods. out fishing or something. So a, then there's no babies created. Your
2: initial idea was that women were over here gossiping and men are out here fishing. <laughs> that's, I don't know. You know, that's what your brain <laughs> first went to. and I'm trying to make a joke yeah, yeah. at the same time. <laughs> I know. I'm uh, trying to continue to joke. Yeah. <laughs>
4: right now.
3: But, uh, but I think, I think that that's, a you know, this is really one of the biggest struggles culturally, I think. Um, and I think men have a lot to learn and I think women have a lot to learn and how we, and I think you're right without purpose, we kind of move into these, you know, silos where we, where we think we're trying to solve a, a big problem, um, that doesn't actually exist in the way we think it exists. Well, you know, it might be a
2: problem. But it's not a problem on the scale of... It's not a macro problem. ...history's problems.
3: Or or at a macro level. Yeah. Right? (coughs) Um, Generally, Mm -hmm. most men don't oppress women.
2: Most of them, yeah.
3: Right. There are some that do. And that's a problem. I I don't disagree with that. Um, And vice versa. I mean, you know, you can say the same thing. So, I think... This culture thing is really important to get to politics and policy and how the direction that we want to move a country uh, to be free. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the actual answer is, but I do think that we need to keep communicating with each other about these ideas and not just say, well, you're wrong, so I'm not listening to you. I think we should hear each other out and try to and try to actually solve the problem.
2: I think that uh, the number one thing we can do is stick to the truth in all of these scenarios. You know, we talk about people, I was talking about people wanting to uh, to cosplay their civil rights movement or the women's suffrage movement or whatever it is, and we have to stick to the truth and not feed into it and not let that keep growing and growing. It can grow and grow, but don't be a part of it. Like, you take responsibility for what you need to do. Mm. Um, Charlie, before I know let we, me read the last part here, though. Oh, I'm not even because they say,
3: okay. they say here Hmm. um, it was suggested the plight of transgender citizens be used as a teachable example of experiences with power and oppression that the categories such as race, gender and sexuality have roots in European colonial logics shared by fascist movements, engineering in particular, they've got to infiltrate. Okay, (laughs) they argued is a critical field to teach. Their far-left ideology because such graduates frequently work in fields such as fossil fuels, defense, construction, and technology upon graduation and could be taught about these fields' relationships with national and global racial capitalism and ongoing apartheid in Palestine (laughs) as an example. We could teach these engineering students Mm -hmm. that all of these – that capitalism – And the Jews are a
2: problem. (laughs) And because right now they're fascists. Because right now they're fascists.
3: You see how none of that
4: makes any sense? Like, (sighs) these (sighs) fascists aren't mad enough at the Jews.
2: They don't support (laughs) Palestine (laughs) enough. Fix this problem. (laughs) You know?
3: That's a quote, by the way. Uh, A literal quote. It's in there. From what this team said. That's
2: what happens when you get in the word salad, and then it gets typed out. Some of your words don't make sense. Hmm. You know, that's the the way it works out. Um, Charlie, if it's someone's first time listening to Good Morning Liberty, or they could be listening on the radio, Liberty at Night with Nate and Chuck on the Free Talk Live network, where would you tell them to go to to find more of our things that we have?
3: Goodmorningliberty.us.
2: That is a place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not my first choice, but that is a website.
3: Godhatesfeds.com.
2: There's one also.
3: Okay. JoinGML.com.
2: There's one too. Yeah.
3: Okay. What's another one?
2: BernieLies.com is a good one, actually. It brings up our link page. That's a good one. So it's a link.
3: BernieLies.com. Yeah. That's a place.
2: That's also a place. On the internet. And uh, mainly the point here is that we. Have a lot of URLs And uh, we think that you should know about them (laughs) How many URLs Do you guys have out there Write into us at charlie at (laughs) goodmorningliberty.us And let us know Go to lizlies.com If you want to check out Coming up we're going to talk about Some questionable Messaging from Ron DeSantis We're going to talk about an asteroid That maybe we could mine for An unthinkable and impossible Amount of money whether or not the government's coming for your water heaters, just like the gas stoves and brick ovens, things like that. We're going to talk tariffs, healthcare, Bidenomics, climate denialism, all that coming up. The
1: crimes of the state. Eleutheromania. The insatiable desire for freedom. The
0: crimes of the state from K through 12th grade are to
4: it's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain
5: Kickass. 12th grade, to
4: Available now on your favorite music app
0: or get it directly from CaptainKickAss.com.
2: All right, all of our liberty-loving friends, Nate and Charlie here liberty at night on the free talk live network this hour of free talk live is brought to you by dash digital cash dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending rising fees have made bitcoin useless for purchases but dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and is implemented Really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible, and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chain Locks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering the Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at dash.org. And a big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit dash.org to learn about Dash. That's dash.org. All right, a few things that happened over the weekend. Let's recap. There's something that people are upset about right now that's going on in Florida and I wanted to give a couple words on it. We'll play a video of Ron DeSantis talking about that. I will preface, however, that I have not read the curriculum of the Florida schools to see exactly what they are going to be teaching. But there is this the the word going around is that part of this, of course it's not going to be the entire curriculum. This is not there's not going to be a class on why this was a good thing. But the word on X right now which used to be called Twitter. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. The word is that Florida is teaching people that slavery benefited people who were enslaved uh because they learned valuable skills that they were later uh, able to use in the market. And I I hear arguments like this from time to time. We'll play the uh we'll play the DeSantis clip and it's just not a good look. I'm I'm not uh pumped about this as as a, as an argument that people are making. Well, let's listen to it. In the
1: policy, it says, how well,
0: you should, should benefit? talk to them about, it. I mean, I didn't do it and I wasn't involved What's in it. it um, but I think, um, I think what they're doing is I think that they're probably going to show, um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed, uh, you know, being a blacksmith into, into doing things later, later in life. Um, But the reality is all of that is rooted in whatever is factual. They listed everything out. And if you have any questions about it, just ask the department of education. You can talk about those folks. But I mean, these were scholars who put that together. It was not anything that was, um, that was done politically.
2: All right. So the official word here is that um, he didn't do it as what he is. The main point that he wants people to, remember. by the way, that's
3: why all these departments exist anyway.
2: What? Oh, so I was he, a me. So he can say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah.
3: Look at this department over there. I didn't, I didn't do, do that.
2: That was that guy over there. Yeah. If you want We've to be We've talked about someone. this
3: before. That's that's why all these departments exist. They want to abdicate responsibility. It's a hand
2: washing station. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right. I don't like this argument, Charlie. And I'm not, once again, I'm not saying that the entire curriculum, what they're teaching, has to do with how slavery benefited people. It could just be uh, something that they mention. And it's probably being blown out of proportion right now. And so I just wanted to clarify i got to say that.
3: just that clip. I don't see anything that he said that was... Well, I did. I mean, he talked about, you know, maybe they'll show somebody who learned a blacksmithing skill or something like that.
2: Yeah, what I'm trying to figure out is why you would want to do that. Um, why, why would you want to talk about how someone learned a valuable skill while they were a slave that ended up helping them later in life? Like, what is the point in that? I, I don't under, I don't understand it. Mm. Um, other than trying to, uh, you you could say that there's a lot of people that are really mad. People are talking about slavery a lot and reparations and you know justice and uh, there's discrimination and all that. Of course, we need to fix it and maybe they want to uh, get the word out there that it wasn't all that bad. <laughs> that there were that there were positives. That there were benefits. Uh, for four people that were here in the US, and I get the argument. People will also make the argument. LP made this argument recently that uh, somewhat made this argument recently that uh, well, people that are in America because slaves were brought here are better off than people that are in Africa. And so if people would have been left in Africa, they would either not exist. They statistically wouldn't exist, you know different timeline, different people would exist, um, or they they'd be much worse off if people were still in Africa. Uh, than they are here. I, I get that, and that is probably true. It probably is. But to me, that it doesn't matter. I don't see why you would make that argument. You can't make the argument that, well, I know slavery was bad, but hey, look how much better off some people are because of it.
3: That's a bad argument.
2: That is an argument that, that, that gives leeway to a lot of other bad things if you go down that moral road with people. The answer is slavery was wrong it doesn't matter if there's people that are better off now than they would have been you should not appreciate where you are and say like oh okay well i guess i benefited from slavery slavery is wrong it should never happen it's against human morality and decency kind of like the covid lockdown just bad yeah
3: yeah Yeah, yes just like that you could argue like well we saved your life or whatever but (laughs) it's like okay at what cost
2: At what cost should we all just be locked in a cell and never allowed to do anything dangerous because it would be better off for us? That's the problem I have with the arguments. And if you're going to say, well, people learn valuable skills and these are some of the people who learned how to be a blacksmith while they were uh, a slave and they, and so they were able to use that later in life. What, what are you trying? What point
3: are you trying to get Mm. across? Yeah. You know, I mean, okay. So let me just play devil's advocate here. Okay. The only
2: thing I can see. You want to advocate slavery? That's fine.
3: No, <laughs> <laughs> I obviously don't advocate for slavery, but I'm talking more on a personal level. Right. So like, you know, there's that old, um, that, you know, Chinese parable or whatever it is that talks about, but it's all maybe right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the dad and his kid are farmers and, um, you know, they don't get any rain or something like that. And, or the horse, you know, runs off, and did you hear the town's like, oh, that's so terrible. Your horse ran off and now you can't plant crops. And the farmer's like, maybe. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, the horse comes back with like 50 horses. Mm. And the town's like, oh, that's so great. You know, you have all these horses that came back and the farmer's like, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then um, his son is trying to break the horses so they can sell them, trying to ride them because they're all wild mares. And he, uh, he ends up breaking his leg.
2: Mm, mm.
3: And the, front the town's like, oh, that's so that's so terrible. And the farmer's like, maybe. And then uh, then the army tries to recruit him, you know, go off to war and die. But he can't because he's got a broken leg. And the town's like, that's great. Your kid broke his leg. And the farmer's like, maybe. The answer to everything is maybe. Mm-hmm. And so on a personal level, I think this is where it doesn't matter. Because we all go through suffering in life. And then with, in the midst of that suffering, you have a choice. Like, you can either be a victim, which you may be a victim. I'm not saying that you're not a victim and I'm not trying to downplay that. Trust me. I know. <laughs> All right. You may be a victim, but at the end of the day, you still get to make a choice on whether you're going to to sit in that victimhood or you're going to say, hey, I can do something about this. I, I have a choice to make and I can take responsibility for myself where I can and and move forward. So I think that's all i'm trying to say on a personal level and i'm not saying obviously slavery is wrong it was wrong to to enslave human beings it was i mean there's nothing appropriate or moral about that in any way at all but if you were a slave and you learned blacksmithing and then you became free you could either wallow in the suffering of victimhood of being a slave or you can say hey i learned a skill and i can go use this now to to better my life now that i'm free and i'm not saying you shouldn't get justice for that back then I'm, yeah I, I, i'm not saying i don't believe in that that's just on a personal level but to <laughs> but to make a broad sweep and be like well
2: you know the ends justify the means we enslaved all these people and taught them skills yeah like no, And I don't think that's the argument that they're making. That's what it's being made to look like. I doubt that's the argument that they're going to be making. But I don't like the argument at all. We can still just say, okay, this was terrible. We don't say all oh, well, these people benefited from it. No, that, that leaves the door open for all sorts of things that people could benefit from if you just conscript them into doing whatever it is that you want them to do. And when you're teaching children the morality of something mm-hmm. and the history of something. Like, that's what you're kind of telling them. Maybe not outright, but you're teaching them that. So, any anyhow, I kind of get why people are upset about this. I do assume it's being a little bit blown out of proportion. Okay, there's a few things maybe we can run through. Um, I just wanted to point out this annoyance I had. There was an article going around. Apparently, they have found an asteroid, and uh, it's, it's getting closer to the U.S., Reach, I guess, with some of our technology is what it says. doesn't mean it's closer to the U.S. than it is to any other countries. Uh, It just means that our technology uh, from, uh, I can't remember, Business Insider posted this article. An asteroid loaded with 10 quintillion worth of metals edges closer to U.S. reach.
3: 10 quintillion, quintillion, or sorry, quintillion, quintillion
2: dollars. So uh, 10 quintillion dollars. Dollars, yes. That's a weird word to say. So billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion uh, is the way that that would go for anyone who doesn't know. (laughs) Just want to let you know. Here's the problem. I mean, I see people taking this seriously. And I think one thing that drove me nuts about this was there's a movie called Don't Look Up uh, about an asteroid that's about to hit Earth. And uh, this is a spoiler alert for no one who has seen, for the people who haven't seen Don't Look Up. I will give you five seconds to not listen for the next minute. In the end of that movie, they decide not to just blow it up because they figure out that it's got a bunch of rare minerals, metals on it that they can use. And it's got however many trillions or quadrillions of dollars worth of metals. And that ends up being a downfall. as people who decide that they want to make money off of it instead of just destroying it. And it's, uh, of course, this big metaphor for climate change and all that. The problem is there's not 10 quintillion dollars worth of metals on this asteroid. Number one, because there's not 10 quintillion dollars in circulation that could pay for all of those metals. <laughs> and whenever you increase the that much supply of those metals, then the value of those metals would plummet down to next to nothing. Okay, the reason that metal is worth what it is worth is because I know what is it, Charlie? Scarcity. Scarcity. Mm. And so when you introduce a nearly what seems to be unlimited supply of these metals, they will not be worth what they are worth anymore.
3: Maybe if we could harvest it, though, we could bring about the common Mm -hmm. dream.
2: That's that's I think that's we should try it. (laughs) Let's try it at least. We got a thing from the Daily Wire here in the Biden Energy Department is proposing a new rule on water heaters. Mm. It's not just your gas stoves. Those tyrannical water heaters. (laughs) You know, it's not just the uh, brick oven pizzas in New York that people are concerned about. Um, It's going to be your water heaters as well. So let's see, we got two articles here. Do you want to do this one or the next one, Charlie? Doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, Go ahead and do this one.
3: All right. From the Daily Wire, thanks Ben. The DOE Department of Energy announced on Friday a plan to crack down On some hot water heaters, part of a string of proposed.
2: Stop. Even they did it. You don't have a hot water heater. If the water was hot, then you wouldn't need to heat it. You have a water heater. All right. If it were already hot water, then we wouldn't even be talking about Mm -hmm. this. It's called a water heater. Water heater. Just so everyone knows. But it says hot water heater Mm -hmm. in the article. Part of a string of proposed
3: rules from the Biden administration on appliances that critics warn will limit consumer power. The new proposed rule would tighten requirements for water heaters, dictating that, quote, the most common sized electric water heaters to achieve efficiency gains with heat pump technology and gas fired instantaneous water heaters to achieve efficiency gains through condensing technology. I have no idea what any of that means. So
2: there's Sounds two different like a
3: bunch of gibberish.
2: two different things here. So electric water heaters, uh, they're going to basically mandate that they have heat pump technology, and gas uh, your instant water heater, like what you have, mm-hmm. uh, you, those have to have uh, a condensing, condensing technology, technology, and that's what they are proposing be mandated.
3: Such standards would save consumers $11 billion annually on utility bills and $198 billion for Americans over a 30-year period, the Department of Energy said. The regulations would also reduce greenhouse gas emissions by roughly 500 million tons during the same time period. Today's actions, together with our industry partners and stakeholders... <laughs> does everyone know what that means? The industry partners and stakeholders... Those are all the companies that are going to benefit from these
2: regulations. Those are the people that are paying them to make people buy more expensive water heaters. Yes. Those are
3: the water heater companies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Improve outdated efficiency standards for common household appliances, which is essential to slashing utility bills for American families and cutting harmful carbon emissions. This proposal reinforces the trajectory of consumer savings That forms the key pillar of Bidenomics and builds on the unprecedented actions already taken by this administration to lower energy costs for working families across the nation. Now, why can't they sell these things if if it saves you money? okay, and it's it's better for the environment. It's better for your home. It's better for your kids. Why isn't everybody just switching over to them? That's a great question, Charlie. Wouldn't you think, why would the government need to force such a good thing upon you?
2: Um, let, me, uh, <clears throat> let me tell you. You think I didn't already do my mm-hmm. digging on this, but I did. This is the uh, water heater, your normal. This is a 4,500-watt double-element electric water heater from A.O. Smith, a 50-gallon water heater. Costs $489 on Lowe's website. And the 50-gallon, the 4,500-watt double element electric water heater with a heat pump costs $1,950. Um, almost,
3: almost a, a 400% <clears throat>
2: increase. Almost a whole $1,500 more than the regular water heater.
3: Both come with free pickup or free delivery. There you go.
2: Looks like. there's the There's the free market part in mm-hmm. action right there. Um, So for
3: your benefit, folks.
2: As uh, Thomas Massey said, uh, right here, Thomas Massey said, leave us alone. These products already exist in the free market. Consumers should decide whether the upfront cost of a heat pump water heater is worth the possible long-term savings. In many cases, the monthly savings never make up for the upfront cost of the equipment. Heat pump water heaters can save energy, but they make less sense in northern climates. That's because they extract heat from the surrounding air, warm air that your furnace will have to work harder to replace. There's no free lunch from these water heaters in the winter. Heat pump water heaters also take a long time to make a tank of hot water, but on-demand water heaters make hot water as needed, avoiding heat losses from a big tank. Depending on personal circumstances, cheaper on-demand heaters might be more economical than mandated heaters. I think he would know. He's... Yeah, he's a- pretty smart guy yeah he knows about this stuff uh, so this is the government helping us they're gonna save us money and like you like you brought it up perfectly charles if if it's so obvious that we're gonna save money on it then why aren't people just buying the 1900 hundred dollar water heater from lowe's and that's because that's a large upfront cost you know what else is funny people are gonna end up having to uh finance that with a interest rates as high as they are right now. is going to give you some kind of special deal for six months or something, 0%, more than likely. If you have good credit, uh, they'll do that for you. But um, yeah, this is going to... I just had to replace my water heater last year because my other one blew up. It just like burst, just popped. Really? Out the side, water going everywhere. Did it implode or <clears throat> explode? It exploded, <clears throat> yeah. And um, not like Fireball or anything, but... It, so you can't use that to go underwater. It was my fault. I was pressure washing the house the day before that. I left the pressure washer connected to the outside faucet, Mm. just right by the water heater. I did not unhook the pressure washer from it. It kept a bunch of pressure loaded up in the line and sent a bunch of back pressure back up into the line, causing the water heater to explode. Mm. And so since I know how to install water heaters, I just went and got one. And put it in, and it was that four hundred eighty nine dollar one. You didn't from Lowe's.
3: get the two thousand dollar one.
2: I didn't because it's I'm not going to be in the house for the twenty years it's going to take me to eventually make back the money that that water heater is going to save me. Mm. And so I got the cheaper one because this was an unexpected expense, and I did not want to go spend two grand on a water heater. I just spent eight grand on a new freaking HVAC unit last year. You know. It
3: probably has all kinds of efficiencies built
2: into it. And you know? We haven't seen the electric bill go down and for we, your own good. We switched from a. Well, that's because ch- of climate change. That's true. Street <laughs> G- know. All we these things saved, are explainable. We would have saved money if not for the climate change. Exactly. We need to try and mandate things harder mm-hmm. next time. That's that's right. Oh man, this is. They're from the government, Charlie, and they're here to help. <laughs> you know. Um, speaking of people being from the government
3: uh, this is a pillar of Bidenomics by the way I just want I just want you guys to know
2: they've really they have really taken that term it's it's crazy how they did it because when we had really high inflation and all that stuff going on uh, people making fun of Joe Biden talking bad about Joe Biden would call this Bidenomics and so if you were to look up like hashtag Bidenomics on something, uh, it would bring up all of these people talking about the crazy inflation, and prices going up, gas prices, what they used to be, hashtag Bidenomics. And so what they did was they took that term, and now every time they talk about something that they are portraying as being a good thing that they're going to do for you, it's now Bidenomics, mm. and now that's what you see uh, when you look at Bidenomics. They've tried to take over that term, although they're, they're not going to be able to do it as well as all the people who are making fun of them, but... you know the thing listen when it comes to water heaters and whether or not the government's going to be changing mandating things with them maybe that's not going to really affect your life all that much you already got a water heater okay it's not going to matter all that much what happens though new people building new houses new buildings going in new houses going in it makes everything more expensive and not to mention when you take away the cheaper options the more expensive options they've been their prices have been kind of tempered down by the fact that there are cheaper options out there. And so when they do this, it just makes those get more expensive. All right, we don't need them coming in and telling us about water heaters or gas stoves or brick oven pizzas in New York, anything like that. And if you like hearing uh, what Charlie and I talk about, and we do this on a daily basis on a podcast called Good Morning Liberty, you can go to BernieLies.com in your browser and it'll bring up all the links to our site uh, or you can just go to your favorite podcast app and look for Good Morning Liberty. We put out a new episode talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. All right. Now, Charlie works in the healthcare sector, and uh, I just, I've owned a few businesses. I consider myself to be pretty schooled on basic economics, and not just the book by Thomas Sowell, although that is my favorite book uh, for sure. I've read it more times than any other book. I read multiple times, I'll tell you that. Uh, So we've, speaking of some of our experience in the healthcare industry, uh, coming up, you're going to hear our conversation about the healthcare industry and some of the just flat-out wrong things that people say when they're talking about our industry. And we'll talk about that coming right up.
0: The Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary. To those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire
1: Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical
0: theological beliefs.
5: As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice.
0: We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people.
5: We want to learn from each other.
0: What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace. Love
5: and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual.
0: The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way, love as your guide, and liberty as your light. Learn more
1: at church.shiresociety.com.
5: That's church.shiresociety.com.
2: What's up, y'all? This is Nate and Charlie, Liberty at Night on the Free Talk Live Network. Every once in a while, you'll hear us talking to people as we uh, recorded this live. And uh, those people joined up on our private Discord. You can go to joingml.com if you want to join up and join us live and talk as we as we talk through some of these different news stories. A GML, by the way, stands for Good Morning Liberty. Charlie and I's podcast that we do every single day of the week when we want to you can find us on all of the social media channels that there are out there twitter is good am liberty or x i don't know if it's called x now or if it's called twitter i'm always going to call it twitter and that's one of the uh, the big problems you know good thing about capitalism is that if this whole x thing uh, with Twitter, which we're going to talk about here in a second, is a good idea. Uh, you know, if, if it's a bad idea, the market's going to solve that pretty quickly. And Elon Musk, who's normally pretty good at making decisions and having big grand master plans, they're going to throw it right back at him. And maybe they'll have to go back to calling it Twitter. Maybe they'll have to put that bird logo back on there. I don't know. I wanted to. Listen, there's this whole thing that Twitter is about to switch over to X because Elon Musk is obsessed with the letter X and making it things. PayPal used to be X.com. You got SpaceX. You got the Tesla model X. He named one of his kids X and a bunch of other random letters. Hmm. Um, and now the logo on Twitter, I did see uh, when you go to the Twitter homepage or the, you know, your homepage is an X. There's no birth there. That's weird. Um, anymore. It's really weird. I don't know if they're actually going to change the name to like X or something. I don't know what they're going to do. If they're going to do that, that's really terrible, terrible, stupid, freaking terrible idea.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it.
2: It's to be one of the first times I ever looked at something that Elon Musk was talking about and said, no, this is dumb. Quit being obsessed with the letter X. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stop. Twitter is a brand. You tweet things. All right. When, people when, have been saying it for years when your brand has been turned into a verb or a way of describing things you don't change it after that it has ent- entered the common vernacular of ways that people talk to each other so you don't change it after that you, you google see, things did you see what musk x mm. <laughs> i didn't i didn't no i didn't see that like that
3: doesn't Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in 10 years after, you know, I have no idea. I I, I don't think this is a good idea. But what do I know? I'm not a genius billionaire.
2: That's true. Maybe he's got some kind of grandmaster plan. It's supposed to be the everything app where we finally can do everything inside of one app, I guess. I don't know what the dream is of this. It's just, I don't know about this one, guys. Mm. I'm going to be an Elon skeptic.
3: I like what. Councilman Yeb says, instead of tweet, you can solve for.
2: Mm, There we go. X equals. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Whatever I say. Whatever you want it to be. Okay, I get it. As an engineer, you know, math genius guy, X must be a fun letter because it can be anything. Mm. Okay. Um, Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, well, TBD on that as well. One more time that the government is going to be here to help you. Uh, The Washington Post had a good article about tariffs that are likely on the way, and they say on products that are purchased by poor people, and we're looking at more tariffs, and this is, of course, to protect a small number of people's jobs, uh, but we're going to put tariffs on these things. So let's go to the, listen, as libertarians- Small
3: number of people's jobs at the expense of
2: everyone else. As libertarians, are we in favor of tariffs? No. No. Why? You like China? (laughs)
3: No, because they don't work.
2: No. they they, just
3: shifts the cost onto the consumer.
2: They make things more expensive. They don't actually achieve their goal until they make things more expensive. And the problem with tariffs is that it takes an item that you could get for a dollar when it was made somewhere else, and it makes it cost $2 because someone was making it here, and that takes the purchasing power of your dollars away. You could have bought more things that could have gone into the economy and provided other jobs and made things more efficient. And instead you're spending more money than you otherwise would have on some kind of, on some good. Now you might say, well, we don't want to be dependent. Well, this is another thing that could exist in the free market. Do you think that there aren't more expensive goods that you could buy that aren't being produced in whatever country they're putting the tariffs on? You could, if you wanted to, instead, they forcefully make those items more expensive for you uh, without even asking you about it. You Mm -hmm. know, All right, yet more tariffs may be coming on products purchased by the poor. Washington Post and Catherine Rampel wrote this once again Rampel. Rampel. Once again, the U.S. government is weighing tariffs that will threaten jobs in the name of boosting employment, raise prices for low income consumers in the name of helping the working class, and alienate our allies in the name of fighting back against economic adversaries. That's a great opening paragraph.
3: Nice job, Catherine. Catherine.
2: Good job, Kathy. The tariffs under consideration by the Commerce Department and International Trade Commission would fall on tin plate steel, a component used in cans for goods such as tuna, soup, diced tomatoes, and other consumer staples. I'll tell you what I don't know if you remember back in the band life, Charlie, but those cans of tuna and chicken mm-hmm. are lifesavers.
3: Chef Borardi, I don't,
2: I don't think I would be here today if it weren't for those mm-hmm. things. You know, to be clear, these Cheez tariffs. Dip. Cheese dip. Cheese dip. When did you have cheese dip? The Frito. The Frito
1: cheese dip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. That's ah, that's not poor people's stuff. It was. To be clear, these tariffs would be in addition to the many, many other metal tariffs that the U.S. has imposed over the years, including steel and aluminum duties levied in 2018 by President Donald Trump. That episode provides a useful case study, one whose lessons U.S. officials still haven't learned. Though those tariffs were imposed ostensibly to protect our national and economic security, they instead harmed the U.S. economy and geopolitical standing. So Imagine there's, that. there's actually been studies on the effects of things like the Trump tariffs. So thank you, Trump, for being a Republican president that everyone hated that actually enticed people to do studies on how bad One of the policies was,
3: and what AnCap Trucker says here: "Foods getting expensive again, as if a grocery cart full doesn't already cost three hundred dollars." You know, I've yet to go to the grocery store even without a full cart and spend less than one hundred and fifty
2: dollars. Mine's ours has been two hundred lately. Well, it's just mean. (laughs) I know. You must be getting some nice stuff. And I have Parker every other week. That's true. Makes sense. That's actually that's right. Yeah, Yeah. one and a half people. One and a half. That's right.
3: (laughs) Every time I go. Mm. I'm just like, every time they ring it up, I'm like, that can't be right. Mm. It can't be. It used to be like, used to be like 75, 80 bucks.
2: Not literally doubled. That's Bidenomics for you. Mm. After all, talking about these uh, previous tariffs, they benefited the relatively small U.S. steel industry at the expense of the much larger American sectors that use steel, such as the manufacturers of automobiles and household appliances. At the time the tariffs were announced, the number of jobs in the U.S. industries that relied on steel products made from steel or products made from steel was roughly 80 times the number of jobs within the steel production industry itself. Let me say that again. The industries that relied on steel, the jobs in those industries, are 80 times the amount of people who work in the steel industry. And tariffs are normally imposed as a way to protect jobs in America's steel industry. But this is at the expense of 80 times the amount of people that work in other industries that depend on that steel. Just to lay that Isn't out in a different that something? way. something? Trump's tariffs helped drive steel prices sharply higher in the U.S. Uh, than they were in other countries, which meant all those downstream U.S. firms had to pay more. This in turn led to an estimated 75,000 fewer jobs in manufacturing than would have existed in the absence of those trade restrictions. As for the few jobs within the steel industry that were protected by the tariffs, they came at a high cost. U.S. consumers and businesses paid more than $900,000 per year for every job that was preserved or created, according to estimates. So, they put in the tariffs to protect U.S. steel jobs. The increase in prices therefore cost the the American people nine hundred thousand dollars per job that was saved in the steel industry by the tariffs. <laughs> and that's what we all paid for it. Mm-hmm. And so helpful those people were probably not getting paid nine hundred thousand uh, dollars, but that is what we ended up paying for each job. Uh, that was saved. So I cut off the rest of the article and just wanted to mention on this for a moment that I I understand the rationale behind tariffs. When we talk about, you know, we had the pandemic and we were relying on other countries for some of our goods and it sent us into some shortages. And so you're relying too heavily on China or whoever it is, and the, and there's a natural inclination uh, to move towards wanting everything to be produced in America. Because that way we don't rely on all these other people. And I think some of those things should be produced in America. And if they want to produce those, they should they should produce them. And if they cost more, then they should cost more. And then the people should decide whether or not they want to pay more for those items that are produced in America. Or maybe they're higher quality goods. And so you're going to buy them at Publix instead of Save-A-Lot or wherever it is that you're, that you're buying. Is Save-A-Lot still a store? I think so. Okay. Used to go there. You know, mm. back in the day. So, um, it that's your decision. Back
3: before you were a famous podcaster. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I hardly remember those, those times, <laughs> the poor times, you know? Yeah. I finally found my bootstraps <laughs> and uh, I lifted as hard as anyone has ever lifted in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's not good for the entire population of America. They frame it as saving jobs or being self-reliant, but at what cost? And there is a cost associated with this. The most important thing is that we use our money in the most efficient manner possible so we can use the leftover money on other things that we want. And this just ends up, I don't, it ends up hurting everyone and helps almost no one, except for the people who run these industries. And, you know, there's... <laughs> I was thinking about what it also does to prices downstream. Of course, it raises prices, and it made me think that last article about the uh, heat pumps, water heaters. Currently, that costs what nineteen hundred and fifty bucks. Was that water heater? Mm-hmm. What do you think it's going to cost when it's the only option? When you don't have a cheaper option to go to, more. You think it's still going to cost nineteen hundred fifty bucks? Of course, it won't. No, it'll be that. Uh, who knows? Who knows? What, but they'll probably subsidize it. You know, that's, And so it'll be cheaper for you. Whose money are they going to use to subsidize it? They're going to use your money. Man, they're so good at helping, aren't just, they? Yeah, that's
3: all they do. <laughs> they just help. They sit around in rooms and wonder how they can help with their industry partners and stakeholders.
2: Yes. I can't believe that they actually said that. Nina Turner has been on a rampage, and the rules of her rampage is that she says uh, as many dumb things as possible inside of one day. And she's doing a great job. Mm -hmm. All right. So I want to commend her on that. Uh, She put out this chart from our world in data uh, that says life expectancy versus health expenditure. And if you're not watching the video, you'll see on the chart that you got a whole bunch of countries that pay less per person per capita uh, and have a higher life expectancy. And then you have the US at the bottom. Of this, which pays more per person and uh, has a lower life expectancy, albeit the life expectancy, di- expectancy differences is by a few years, uh, but still uh, that can matter. And Nina says this is what privatized healthcare has gotten us. Now, Charlie, would you des- describe our healthcare system as a privatized healthcare system? No. 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 Now, there are privatized, there are private companies who reap the profits of the system that we have, Uh, but are those private companies making all of the decisions? No, it's completely government regulated. No, it's actually, it's really close to like a fascist healthcare system where you get the private ownership of the company, but the government controls all of the rules, everything that you do. Is based on government rules. There's like not a not a thing that you can do. That there aren't. That there's not a whole book of rules on that people have to go through. And so calling the privatized healthcare industry was annoying to me. Uh, So I brought up the other thing. You can't just say that it's because of the healthcare system. You'd also have to look at a very very big factor between the USA and say Norway and Japan and South Korea and Denmark in Germany, in the UK, in Switzerland, and all the other countries that are on here, the really big thing you'd have to look at would be the obesity rates. America is a very fat country per capita. Our weight per capita is much higher than those other countries, which is going to take years off of your life. All right, you can't just blame that even if you were going to say we had a totally privatized healthcare system, you can't just blame it on that. You got to look at the health culture of the country and we are a much fatter nation per capita. There's no obesity problem in America. There is. That's okay? for sure. And that's because we have a free market in food for the most part. <laughs> so, you know, we got way more food than uh, than we need. So I pointed out some stats on this, just, just so we know. The chart that Nina posted goes from 1970 up to 2018, which would be like some of the most recent data that they had for that chart. And uh, during that time the third-party payment as a percentage of our total national health expenditures, the money that was spent on, on health care, third-party payment, meaning you didn't pay it yourself, uh, grew from 68% to 90% of the health care expenditures. The public health expenditures as a percentage grew from 22% to 42.5% over that time. It almost doubled. As a portion of how much money was being spent on things, out of pocket and private insurance used to be 53.1%, and now it's 38%. Okay, another good stat is that out of pocket used to be 30. um, Out of pocket used to be 32.7% in 1970, and now it's 10.2%. And that's in 2021. And so, is that a healthcare industry being privatized? At that moment. Or is that actually the public health side of that equation? Increasing. (laughs) Basically doubled during that time. And then you also have an increase in the amount of that health insurance was paying. So more people having health, health insurance, more people get health insurance from their jobs than they were getting in 1970 as well. So a lot more people are using health insurance for more and more things. And also health insurance is mandated to cover more and more things. And so it's picking up a bigger portion of the pie. And as you have multi-billion dollar industries or you have multi-trillion dollar government paying for things, the expense that is allowable that people will charge and that will get paid for those expenditures continues to go up and up and up, as opposed to if it were just uh, me or Charlie going to pay for something, they would actually be uh, restricted by a free market payment system in that time. So that's that's one little portion of about a 1000 a, a different things that we could point out for why healthcare is so expensive.
3: Healthcare is too expensive. It, is. it has nothing to do with the fact that it's private. No. Cuz it's not.
2: No. <laughs> so it can't. So it can't <laughs> It's be. impossible for that yeah. to be the problem. Yeah. And uh I wanted to mention one of Nina also she was on a on a roll uh, the other day she said, either we have single-payer health care or private companies will profit off illness. There isn't a middle ground. Can't argue with that. <laughs> either it's we it- have single-payer health care or private companies are going to profit. She's like, it's one of two options. No. That's it. Those are the only two things. And so what she's in, in, insinuating there is that in a single-payer health care system, private companies are not going to profit from things. <laughs> But a single-payer healthcare system, all it says is that the government's going to be the payer for all the things, and the private companies are still going to do it. But she's saying that they're not going to profit off of people?
3: Well, they may only profit like 10%. You know, they'll move those margins down,
2: Nate. Look at that. You know, like the same brain. So I said profit will be outlawed under single-payer. And this person said, no, you can make a little above your production cost. But to fight for these companies making millions, if not billions, uh, off sick and dying Americans is disgraceful. So this person says that we should use cost plus.
3: Mm-hmm. And guess what's going to happen?
2: That's their idea. The cost is going to go cost, way up. The cost goes up. And in fact, Charlie, I thought it was a great time. Just like when you're a server,
3: okay? Like, look, <laughs> true. The, your job as a server is to increase the ticket mm-hmm. price. And that's because most people will pay your tip in, as a percentage of the total bill. And so the higher you can get that bill by selling desserts and appetizers and drinks, the higher you can get it, you're, you're, the more likely chance you are to have a a higher tip. So you increase the cost of production so that your percentage, your plus amount, increases.
2: That's actually, that's a great analogy. Yeah, I don't know if it's we've ever used that before, but that's, yeah, that's really good. I like that. Um, I thought we should have Spike Cohen talking about this because Spike uh, already talked to us about Cost Plus, and this would be great for the radio as well.
4: All right. <laughs> so, Cost Plus is the idea that the problem with the cost of healthcare is that there's too much profit in it, right? And so, if you just tell people, if you just tell the hospitals and the healthcare providers, well, you can only charge a percent more than you're paying for the product or service then that'll make it cheaper because they can't profit as much, right? There's no way that they could game that. There's no way that I as a doctor who is trying to figure out how to make sure I'm getting everyone paid and still put money in my pocket and pay off my student loans and everything else. There's no way that I figure that instead of buying this saline bag, IV bag for a dollar and being able to make 10 cents off of it, that instead I could buy this saline bag for $300 and make $30 profit off of it and know that I can charge that much because I'm not charging the patient directly most of the time. I'm charging a multi-billion dollar insurance pool that's required by law to (laughs) to pay it. There's no way I would do that, right? There's no way that would happen. When you say it
2: that way, it sounds perfectly rational.
4: (laughs) This cost plus is probably, I would say possibly the single biggest contributor to the spiraling out of control cost of especially hospital services it is a direct result of all of the providers going oh yeah we don't want you to make too much profit on our 700 you know iv uh uh catheter or whatever like i mean the, the char- things they're charging are as a direct it's like what government government is under cost plus government They're contractors. They can only charge a certain percent more than they cost. And that's how you end up with a twenty three thousand dollar hammer. So they took that amazing economic uh, uh, prospect uh, policy and moved it to the healthcare sector. And wonder of wonder. Now, hospital services cost a fortune. You also.
2: All right. That that's right. Now, it does work.
3: I will say it will work in the private market like what Mark Cuban is doing with Mm -hmm. costplusdrugs.com because his whole goal is to actually save consumers money.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: So he's trying to find the cheapest actual costs of these medications and then only add the 15% profit on top of it, which is saving people thousands of dollars. But once it gets to the point where it's no longer saving anybody money, no one's going to use it. Yeah. But he's having to compete in a free market way Mm -hmm. against other companies that don't, but like Spike said, because they can charge... This multi-billion-dollar pool of insurance that people are forced to pay into, and therefore can can continue to suckle
2: the the teat the teat (laughs) of the plus. Uh, Yeah, Jeff, that's the interview where we had a Spike and Nate's uh, Chicken Shack or whatever it was that we came up. That's in the. uh, uh it's that's towards the end of this it'll be a cost we were, plus
3: chicken jack yeah.
2: well we were talking about con laws at that time and and um anyway it was a it's a great interview i'll uh, i'll put the link to this video in the show notes for everyone charlie we gotta go it's to time the government they're they're here yeah to help all right just so you
3: know you should advocate for more of it <laughs> they should be running everything i don't know why we try to do anything
2: i know Shouldn't it you know? be so much easier if we just let those people do everything? That's right. You know, like
3: why would you want to make any decisions in your life? You know, <sighs> it's too much. it be nice if everything was decided
2: for you. These people running businesses, trying to get people stuff. Yeah. Like why are they doing that? Why do you
3: want different things to eat yeah. on different days? You should just, just have the like same a, thing provided for you. Just
2: let like a board vote on it mm-hmm. or something. That's right. That's right. <laughs> One of the things we want to continue to stress with the healthcare conversation is that healthcare is too expensive. And that's the government's fault, and they're sorry, right? Only they're not sorry. The government has been getting more and more involved with health care since, really, Medicare came into existence, but even before that. uh, We think that health insurance should not be used to pay for things that we know for sure are going to happen in our lives. That's not what insurance is. That's one of the reasons that it's so expensive, because it has to pay for all of those things It should be more for things that are unexpected Coming up, we'll be talking about California's woke math We'll be talking about this idea The third parties are destroying our democracy I don't, I don't know uh, what that means but Anyway, all that's coming up Okay, Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. Hey, listen, our normal podcast, Good Morning Liberty, which we do every day of the week when we want to. On Fridays, we do an episode called Dumb Bleep of the Week, where we have the live group vote on what the dumbest thing was that was said that week, and... There's a lot of it, okay? There's a lot of dumb things that are said. Here's a few of those things. Dumb bleep number one is going to be called Bidenomics. It's not all going to be Joe Biden talking about these things, but we have three different little submissions for the version of economics that our president and the administration are teaching our children these days. They're so proud of. It's called Basic Bidenomics, okay? Here's one that got a nice community note, Charlie.
3: Uh, Right now, this is from the POTUS account, by the way, real wages for the average American worker is higher than it was before the pandemic, with lower-wage workers seeing the largest gains. That's Bidenomics.
2: So he is is correct that lower-wage workers have seen the largest gains. In fact, I will say that I think low-wage workers might have beat out inflation potentially. But when you look at real wages as a category, uh, Community Notes Got it right, mm-hmm. they say. This tweet's claim about real wages
3: contains a factual error. On March 15th, 2020, when the COVID lockdowns began, real wages adjusted for inflation, so that's AFI, adjusted for inflation, were $11.15. As of July 16th, real wages adjusted for inflation are
2: $11.05. you mm. lost okay. 10 cents. you lost, lost a th- dime. You lost money over this time, folks. There's no way getting around it, even if Joseph R. Biden says it. But who cares about the truth? You know, it's like
3: you talk to everyday people and you like go to the grocery store and you realize, like, yeah, I don't make as much money as I used to. <laughs> but, yeah. but you could just tweet stuff like this. Everything's fine.
2: If you say it enough times, it will become truth yeah. in the mind of some people like this next person. You you let us right into mm-hmm. it, Charlie. We already talked about Sandra earlier in the week, but it's something that must go in dumb bleep of the week. I was talking about how we've had uh, inflation, 16-something percent since Biden took office. It was 3% year-over-year was the most recent number that was released. Sandra says inflation is down and expected to continue to decrease. Get your facts straight. I said prices still increased. Those are the facts. And she said prices are down. Across the board, prices are down. Mm. That's what lower inflation means. Did you comprehend that with your snarky arse? Now, was I even snarky? What board is she looking at? I I don't don't know. What? Yeah, what's her board? (laughs) Maybe her board's different from ours. Yeah,
3: across what board? I don't know. No.
2: Was I even snarky? You're talking about charcuterie boards here? You're telling me I can't even say that? She's... Mm. Now, here's the this is the state of the world, and this is the state of the relationships with a lot of women these days. Let me tell you <laughs> what. The first thing she said was that it was down and expected to continue. Get your facts straight. And I said, prices still increase. Those are the facts. And she called me snarky. Mm. But I responded to the way that she responded to me. Man. A lot mm. of you guys out there know what I'm talking about right now. Let me tell you what, man. I don't have that problem. Some people do. All right. Hakeem Jeffries up with the next one. This is all still
3: part of Bidenomics. The Biden economy has produced record job creation, declining inflation, and increased wages. Extreme MAGA Republican haters are having a meltdown. God, I don't even want to refute this stuff anymore.
2: The so we've. Talked- I'm
3: tired, mate. You, know, you read this stuff and you're just like... And look at all the people that look at this and like it and they bookmark it and they retweet it mm-hmm. and without even without even digging into it whatsoever. They just take everything that these people say, which is why they say it. It's mm-hmm. why they say it. The people they just take what they say and they're like, Well, yeah, that's about
2: right. The most now we've talked about the job creation thing plenty of times. All right, so we don't even have to address that, I guess. The Biden economy has produced declining inflation How about that one That's kind of a new one The Biden economy has produced declining inflation How did the deflation how did the inflation decline It de- it declined from a heavily inclined number that the Biden economy also produced And so to say that you produced declining inflation the inflation first needed to go up to also, 9.1% Putting those two words together declining inflation, inflation. A declining incline yeah. in prices mm-hmm. has happened. Okay. That's, uh, that's dumb bleep number one. We're just going to call it Bidenomics. There are people like it's you like said,
3: when you decline your increase in altitude. Yes. You know, in an airplane, mm-hmm. you just, that's what you do.
2: You've, exactly. <laughs> number two, this will be a really quick one as well. We talked about this for, no, I talked about it on the radio show earlier in the week, but Ilhan Omar had posted that the earth just broke the record for the hottest day in 120,000 years. In fact, we broke it on three separate days. National climate emergency now. She wants Mm. to declare a climate emergency. All right. 120,000 years. If that were even the case, which it's not, uh, that still wouldn't tell you a lot. That would mean how many times could it have been hotter than that? How many times does 120,000 go in the 4.5 billion? billion? Can someone give me a quick number crunch on that on their... uh, on their calculator, let me know. I'm not going to attempt to even do that right now. $4.5 billion divided by 120000 uh, Someone let me know if you have time. That, that would be great in the, uh, in the live group. Okay, here's the, here's the problem. Um, community Notes addressed this and said, it is not possible to have accurately measured the daily temperature dating back 120,000 years. So this tweet should not be presented as fact. NASA climate scientists recognize 1880 as the start of modern climate records. They cite their source here. And the source is climate.nasa.gov slash a bunch of other stuff. Aaron Reed, this dude is just ridiculous. Oh, um, a dude? <laughs> well, depends on if you ask him. Uh, Aaron Reed says, LOL. This site now adds notes with climate <laughs> denialism. God, this place has fallen. <laughs> climate <laughs> denialism <laughs> is citing NASA, who says that accurate temperature readings started at 1880 mm-hmm. and that we can't yep. tell you to the degree or to the, to the 0.1 degree
5: mm-hmm.
2: what the exact temperature on Earth was 120,000 years ago. And that is climate denialism. These, I mean, these, uh, these just do it for themselves.
3: <laughs> I'm not sure what I could say to make it any better. And this, I probably can't.
2: No one, uh, no one gave me a number crunch on this yet, but um, I just, I feel like that's one I'm not going to attempt to do in my head. So let me just try to do this. Uh, Climate denialism flight. coming from. 36,000 from Big Gus. So here's the thing you got to, uh, they also do this with a once in a thousand year storm has happened. Okay, in this case, they said 120,000 years. Let's say we hit that temperature every 120,000 years. Well, in Earth's history, um, that could mean that we hit it like 30,000 times. All right, that's a lot of times still. And mm-hmm. I'm going off of that number right now. Uh, if that's not the case, I'm trying it again right now just to double check the math on that. But just so you all are aware, these people... <laughs> it's
3: 37,500. These people have no... Life. Four and a half billion. Four and a half billion. They have no concept of actually checking sources. They just see something that upsets them and they react immediately. Mm-hmm. And so now we know that climate.nasa.gov is that's all full of climate deniers. you, see,
2: you say it NASA, huh? Mm, I like NASA. Technically, like NAS. Just so you know, as far as um, the proper reading. Uh, that would be correct, because... Is it? In most languages, you would pronounce a letter the same way all the time. In this case, we say NASA. Well, we like don't say... NASCAR. We don't say NASA. <laughs> you know, we say NASA, yeah. in which case you would say NASA, because you pronounce the A the same way both uh, times. Uh, ah. Yeah, like uh. that. Anyway, uh, that's Dumb bleep number two. Just in case you guys are wondering how my singer's diction courses Mm. played out back in college so you are using your degree i do use it or not degree i use it to classes i literally use that to read things on the podcast because all we had to learn was how to read other languages Mm. you don't learn the words you learn how to read other languages um you think this doesn't play into dumb bleep number three dumb bleep number three you're wondering how can people be so dumb when it comes to stats and math and economics and all that well, number biology. Th- number three, <laughs> progressives war on teaching math conquers California. That's right. In California, you remember us talking about this crazy, woke math concept that people were throwing out there. Mm-hmm. They're doing it. They voted on it and they're doing it. Mm. All right. There is an article in the show notes associated with this. I don't know if you have that pulled up right now. Um, as progressives this is a little bit more of an opinionated article from the from the New York Post as progressives want to do everywhere California is destroying math education in the same, in the name of equity the state's new math framework for public schools ditches traditional instruction to, imp- to emphasize self-identity and collaboration in lieu of actual math skills. It aims to keep all students in the same math courses until 10th grade, no longer grouping students by skills, so the kids who can learn more get more advanced instruction they need. The result would be far fewer kids able to take advanced classes and more, quote, slow children denied the chance to gain basic skills. Uh, I actually went into the curriculum, which is a ton of stuff, and I found a couple uh, sections that looked interesting to me, and I pulled one of them out. Uh, They have these five components in their math teaching. Component number three is teaching towards social justice. And so that's component number three. Uh, They say mathematics is a tool that could be used to both understand and impact the world, but too, too often students believe math is not for them research shows that social and cultural contexts play a role in a learner's sense of belonging in the mathematics classrooms. Additionally, learning environments enable or hinder whether and how students see themselves as doers of math who believe that math has a role in their lives. Both math educators and math education researchers argue that teaching towards social justice can play an important role in shifting students' perspectives. This framework discusses teaching towards social justice in two parts. First, it involves creating opportunities for students who see themselves as well as people from Uh, from all backgrounds as capable and successful. Second, it urges educators to empower learners with tools to examine inequities and address important issues in their lives and communities through mathematics. And so a good example of this, a a made up example right now, but just something along the lines, you know, that question, like a train is traveling from wherever to Paris Mm -hmm. and it's got to go this many miles and it's going this fast. Well, instead they would say, uh, Jane makes 79 cents on the dollar for what Jack makes, and Jack (laughs) makes a hundred thousand dollars a year. How much does Jane make? (laughs) You know, yeah, it'll say something like that, or um, it'll say, uh, in the inner city, uh, stores often place a 25% racist upcharge on their items, and in the suburbs, a tube of beard oil will (laughs) will cost X amount. How much would it cost for minorities in the inner city?
3: (laughs) Mm. Which is so important.
2: It is. It's very important stuff. And so what you do is you not only teach math, you also teach people what they call social justice. You're actually indoctrinating them while teaching them math by presenting these facts of the world to them Mm -hmm. while you're doing it. So um, you know, if you're in still, if you're still in California, I kind of feel like that's your fault at this <laughs> point. And I, I have sympathy for your children. All right. I have less and less for you. It's time to get out. I know it's tough to move. It, it is, is. It is yeah. really tough to move. You got to have a lot of money, got to have a job lined up. But if you can afford to live in California, you can essentially afford to live anywhere else. Okay. (laughs) So it's not that hard. The hardest thing is going to be finding an available U-Haul truck. And
3: the live group is calling those that live in California out right now. (laughs) Looking at all you. All right. You're part of the problem. Um, All right. This is from uh, Lawrence Tribe. Either, yeah, I guess you can read either one. Tribe law. Well, I'll read the first one. Michael Beschloss tweeted, Entirely possible that a 2024 third-party candidate could, intentionally or not, tip this nation toward a fascist presidential autocracy.
2: Mm. So having more options than the so, two major party candidates. Is Putin running for president of the United States? Or? Uh, essentially the same thing. Trump is running. Yeah. Oh, so that is, yeah. That's Putin. Mm-hmm.
3: Lawrence Tribe quotes this and says, third-party candidates like RFK Jr., Cornell West, possibly Joe Manchin, are the biggest threat to our survival as a free people who govern ourselves.
2: The biggest threat. Hmm. Because as you can tell, we all basically died while Trump was president the last time. We, you know, we didn't survive it. And of course, we finally got everyone out of the uh, imprisonment camps that he, that he put everyone in, the internment camps and all that. I uh, know he's already been the president before, okay? It wasn't as bad as what everyone <laughs> said it was going to be. Uh, but this is the biggest threat to our survival. But
3: this is dangerous because let's just put things in context. This is not a normal thing. This is not Bill Clinton versus George uh, George Herbert Walker Bush with Ross Perot
4: playing uh, spoiler. No, this is Donald Trump. He is a threat to national security. He has threatened our democracy. He caused an insurrection.
3: He has weaponized government against his enemies. And so if you, John Huntsman
4: or Joe Lieberman, I love you, Joe Lieberman, but you've got to stop this, Joe. Joe, 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 this is insane and you cannot do anything, anything that could possibly help Donald Trump.
3: The Copperhead's right. Unless Democrats win, democracy dies.
2: And one more from Tristan Snell.
3: All right. Hitler was elected with only 43.9% of the vote. He won because of multiple parties splintering the
2: anti-Nazi vote. Yeah, there you have it. And so that's what third? They've got one called the uh, No Labels Party that is talking about. You had that video Oh, the head pulled up that day, whatever day that was, Monday, I think. Uh, you had that video from The View about her talking about how, uh, was it Lieberman? Yeah, I think so. Uh, that was talking about the no labels party. They've talked about Joe Manchin uh, and they've got the forward party. By the way, this is no different on the right, by the way.
3: No. They're claiming that Vivek and DeSantis and all the other people. Well, I say it
2: about libertarians.
3: Yeah, libertarians, mm-hmm. all the people who are running against Trump, you know, are just trying to split. And if they, if they go independent for the general election, we're just handing the country over to Bidenomics again. Look, in a democracy, you can vote for whoever the hell you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can actually, you can write a name in. You don't even have to vote for somebody that's on the ballot. True. You can write their name down. There's a section there, even if it's electronic, you hit other and you
2: like write their name. Which is what I did in the last. No, I voted for Jorgensen. I did. I wrote in in 2016. I did too. Mm-hmm. Did we write in the same person? Um, I wrote in Ron ball. Did you? Yeah. I wrote in Rand because I don't, I kind of felt like Ron was old. I don't know, but I get it. Still
3: sharper than the guys we got running the country <laughs> now.
2: <laughs> All right. This comes, uh, Greg price tweeted this out. Mr. Mf- Fume. I don't know how to read that name. M- F- Fume. He's very important, uh, in our democracy. And he's upset about people uh, not liking the DOJ, FBI, IRS, stuff like that. And so this is number five, and then we'll, we'll add a piece onto the end of this. Think he got paid to say this? Here's what he's probably afraid for his life, so he has to say it. That's the case with a lot of these.
4: Here's what galls me I don't like these attacks on the Department of Justice the FBI, the IRS, as if they are somehow anti-U.S. agencies. Those agencies keep this democracy in check. It keeps them in float. They provide the checks and they provide the balances.
3: That's what the framers wrote in the Constitution. (laughs) Checks and balances. Yeah, by agencies. (laughs) Yep. That's right. They could never be used against political opponents or... You folks from a certain political class, those things could never be used for that, could they?
2: On an unrelated note, still in Dumb bleep number five, the House Judiciary GOP posted, and I saw, I think it was Michael Schellenberger that uh, posted this out, one of those uh, Twitter files, guys. Testimony reveals that the FBI knew the Hunter Biden laptop was authentic, but when asked by a social media company about the laptop's authenticity, the FBI said no further comment. The rest is history. They didn't just say no further con- comment. Um, if you look into the transcript here. So here's the story. The FBI received Hunter Biden's laptop a full 10 months before the story broke in the New York Post. And they knew that it was real, that it was legit. And then after that, the they warned the social media companies that there could be a hack and dump leak prior to the election. Hack and dump. Well, that kind of sounds like something hack. That kind of sounds like something that could come from a device of some kind. Mm -hmm. So they warned them in the summer before the election. And then when the story broke, the social media companies asked them if it was real uh, before censoring it. Not only did they say no further comment, first, the person on the phone call said, yes, it's real. And then before that sentence was finished, someone else broke over the top of her, and said no and, further comment.
3: And mansplained,
2: mansplained over the top, said mm-hmm. no no further comment. All right, so we'll you know go back to the previous statements from fume and um, is the DOJ protecting our democracy when they purposefully try to hide information that could be important to the electorate before the election in favor of one political party?
3: I mean, these are American institutions, Nate. Mm.
2: Like, how could they be against us? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting idea. Okay.
3: This is the, this is, this is what makes me so infuriated, by the way. This is why a lot of times I come on the show and I, I, I can't think of anything else to say. And that's because it's such a delusion. Like the lies are at such a point now where you're like, what's the point? I just want to be like, okay. I've reached a point in my life where I'm just like, okay. Yeah. You know, if that's what you want to believe, go for it. Because it like, I don't know, there's something about trying to refute these lies over and over and over and over again that just becomes so exhausting. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, it, it almost seems like you take down one lie and seven more pop in its place.
2: So I will tell you this in a private conversation between the two of us, Charlie, no one else listening right now, um, that you and I have to remember that we're talking to, we reach new people every day. That maybe have not heard the things that we're saying or in the way that we are saying them. For instance, yesterday I tweeted something about the government taking two to four months of your labor. And someone responded with, wow, that's genius to talk about it in the amount of months that it takes you to work to pay the government. You know, never heard it like that before. I'm like saying that for 20 years. People like I didn't come up with that. People have been saying that for years. That person had never seen that before. And their life might be different now. I after Nate trying to about it,
3: just spread a little hope.
2: Yeah. So they they are pessimistic Nate
3: dipping into his optimism. <laughs> what a beautiful thing! Why does that say this video file could not be played? All of that manipulation that I've worked on you
0: trying to be to make positive, positive over the years, yeah.
3: finally paying off. Because you knew I would get to a place so low in hell mm-hmm. <laughs> that your sprinkling of optimism might just get me to hold on just a little bit longer mm-hmm.
2: it's my job now to hold you together all right i'm taking i'm putting you on my shoulders and thank god you've yeah. lost 70 pounds you know? <laughs> coming up we're going to be talking about this controversy stirred up by the libertarian party of new hampshire with nina turner and the way that they talked about taxation liberty night free talk live network Okay, this is Liberty at Night on the Free Talk Live Network with Nate and Charlie. Almost wrapped up for this evening, but I want to talk about this controversy between the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire and Nina Turner. So we're going to talk about the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. They have long been provocateurs, extraordinaire, when they are uh, running their Twitter account. Sometimes I think they're great. Sometimes I think it's too much. This is one of the times I thought the tweet was actually hilarious. We'll talk about that, but I guess we need to figure out whether or not they should have tweeted it and whether or not it was, in fact, racist. Charlie, your initial your initial reactions to this tweet, I think, were maybe a little bit different from mine. Well, I guess let's talk about it. If you're not just living online like we are all the time, let's talk a, have a very online conversation right now. Nina Turner, who you might know... From Dumb Bleep of the Week. She's a regular. Uh, we spend a lot of time with Nina. She tweets a lot of dumb things. Yeah, she's got one of the dumber Twitter feeds that there are out there. And uh, she tweeted insulin should be free, medicine should be free.
3: Just a real banger of a tweet. There.
2: Yeah. Now, you know, I'm real not. insightful. She says those two things should be free. Now, of course, Charlie, are things free and can they be free?
3: No, they cannot. Like literally nothing can. No, maybe air. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. The air we breathe is free.
2: Now she doesn't actually mean free, and she said that before. She means that they should be free at the point of sale. Not of not a sale, but at the uh, at the POS. The government should pay for it. The government should pay for wants. it. Yes. yes. And Charles, in all of your wisdom, could you please tell me how the government gets its money?
3: Well through the good works that they do. So Mm -hmm. they set up um, these donation
2: websites. We were just discussing that. (laughs) We were trying to find your checkbook, and we were going to try and send them something. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. So um, they're good-natured people that work for the government, and they set up these beautiful donation websites, and they have these donation (laughs) centers that you can go to. And, um, you know, they put all their projects on display of all the good they're going to do for you, and people just voluntarily... Mm -hmm. Give them money. That's how the government gets their money.
2: And if you don't want to, it's no big deal. You can uh, trade with one another, create value in society. You can uh, make money to live on in your life. And, you know, if you see the government's doing great things and you send them money, and if you don't, it's totally fine. And so that is how you know that this analogy is so ridiculous. (laughs) Because of those things being true. Libertarian Party in New Hampshire responds. Real
3: quick, just for those that don't get the sarcasm. (laughs) That's not how the government operates at all. It's by force, and it's called taxes. And uh, if you don't pay your taxes, then uh, guys or gals, now mm-hmm. or days, any any of them, come to your house because they'll fine you and stuff. And mm-hmm. if you don't pay those fines and all your taxes, they'll come to your house and they'll take you away and they'll they'll, they'll you,
2: bring guns with them. Yeah,
3: they'll they'll literally put you in cuffs. Mm-hmm. Chattel-esque.
2: They will tie your hands together and prevent (laughs) your freedom of movement.
3: Yeah. I don't know what you...
2: And then they'll put you in a cage. They'll chase you. (laughs) For however long they want to. They'll they'll put you in a cage. You know how you get out of taxes? (laughs) How's that? Don't work. (laughs) There you go. Some people have it figured out. All right. So uh, discussing the tweet, she says those things should be free. Libertarian Party of New Hampshire responds with, Nina Turner picking crops should be free. Now,
3: that's out there. I'll say that.
2: I will admit freely it's borderline controversial. Okay. I thought personally that it's uh, was hilarious. It is funny. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, I'm disgusted yeah. by this repugnant and terrible." T-. No, I thought it was hilarious. That is funny. And so if that makes you want to call me names or whatever, uh then that's fine, but I found the joke to be funny and by the way, it was a joke. You see, Libertarian Party of New Hampshire does not actually think that Nina Turner picking crops should be free. They think... Or that
3: Nina Turner should be picking crops. <laughs> or, or at all.
2: No, I mean... Yeah. And so, Libertarians believe taxation, a lot of them believe taxation is slavery. Even taxation is theft. Okay, well, if it's slavery, then you would live out that idea that it is slavery. If you call it slavery and you don't actually believe it, then that's one thing. If you call it slavery and you actually believe it, well, then that's another. And so looking at it from the point of view of someone who believes that taxation is slavery, and you say that uh, Nina Turner says these things should be free, which means that people's tax dollars would go towards them forcefully, uh, then she is in fact advocating for slavery.
3: Part-time slavery.
2: Part-time. Someone did a great job responding to this. I actually I pointed it out. First off, this is Dylan Ullman. It was a big tweet. Yeah. He said they don't need to fully enslave a small portion of the population anymore. They can just partially enslave the entire population. And so I thought that was a, I don't know, pretty good way of putting it. Yep. And so really a lot of this comes down to whether or not you believe taxation is slavery. But what it really
3: does is it highlights principled people versus non-principled people. Mm-hmm. And so the principle behind libertarianism is we don't want to force anybody to do anything against their will.
2: We don't hurt people or take their stuff. Right.
3: Um, The non-principled people is they would, they're okay with some people being in slavery as long as it's not them mm-hmm. and as long as they benefit from it. Yes. So, but people, people can't think that far ahead in a principled stance because we're so easily offended and we can just yell racism rather than looking at maybe some things that we believe in and being like, okay, does this align with what I actually believe? Should doctors and nurses and pharmaceutical companies and researchers and all the people um, that work in the medical field, should they be forced to give up part of their time so that, or anybody else who's working, by the way, where taxes are taken from them, should they be forced to give up part of their time just so some people who have diabetes should be able to get their medicine for free?
2: The answer is no. Yeah. They, They shouldn't be forced to do that. And uh, this is one of the issues I've had personally with the messaging problem uh, because there are a lot of the same people on the, uh, uh, what would you call it, the pragmatic libertarian, old guard libertarian side uh, that did say that this was a racist tweet and shouldn't have been done. I don't see this as a racist tweet at all. The Libertarian Party of Georgia had a good one. This has been common. If 100 percent taxation of your income is slavery at what percentage is it not is it zero is it 30 is it 50 what's the number clearly if they took all of the money took all of the income then we probably would consider that to be slavery of course you could just opt out i guess and live on the street yeah. and die um also you have so to. so what number like, is it not
3: pay attention to what Nina turner says here and this, she responds to some of these things and she says this is racist go back this is racist and anti-black period in no way is advocating for free insulin comparable to chattel to shadow slavery shameful and uneducated
2: you see that's what happens so, when you lose the right to talk about history in schools the good people from lbnh no, have no idea
3: well listen to what she's saying here there's no way you can argue against her now she's <clears> now set the line you can't her response has nothing to do with the actual principle of the matter or having any type of discussion. She's, she's drawn a line and saying, like, you can't discuss this because this is racist and anti-black and it is shameful and uneducated.
2: Mm-hmm. And insubordinate.
3: So if you say anything Trulish. beyond that, it's just an uneducated, you're just a deplorable. You're uneducated. Yep. You can't have this. You're not, you're not allowed in the room for this discussion. I mean, they're allowed to say that we're deplorable and uneducated and dumb and they can dox us and protest in front of our houses and whatever they want to do. Right
2: now it's racist the, to even mention that the, people protest the mob mm-hmm. And then
3: all they have to clap back with is like, well, that's racist. Everything is racist. And then you no longer have a voice because the thought police will come out and, and then, say that that's racist. And you can't, you can't. And like, look, <laughs> Black people aren't the only people who pick crops, by the way.
2: No, they're not the only people that have
3: been enslaved. Exactly. Lots of people have been enslaved. And it's wrong on every level. There are currently two million children in sex slavery right now being forced to have sex and perform sexual acts against their will. I don't like that. Yeah. And they're from all races, by the way. Yeah. Hispanic, black, white, Asian. It doesn't matter.
2: Now... I was never a sex slave, but I was a child. So does that mean that I need some kind of reparations for this? <laughs> you must.
3: Okay. I mean, they're making hundreds of billions of
2: dollars now. Just checking. So the, uh, You bring up a good point, though, that they use this racism term, and then it's like it shuts you down. That's, that's their way of shutting down the argument. And this is one of the reasons that I didn't like the, uh, the way the Libertarian Party messaging went in 2020. And I talked to Josh Eckel about this, our friend, Josh, and talked to him about this. And I told him that the messaging was the reason that I left the party in 2020. Um, because giving into, you know, people yell racism all the time. And being like, okay, yeah, your feelings are valid. I understand. You're right. We're not going to use this word anymore. Here's my thing. I get it. And th- what you do is you allow them to use a word And take the moral high ground and shut down your arguments. The issue is that, okay, people are upset about systemic racism, right? Yeah. And then they, so they're mad about that. And then when you, when you coddle to that and you say, okay, yeah, I get it. And you could ask what they're talking about. It could just be, it could just be disparate outcomes, whether it be in income or wealth or education or whatever. And say, well, since, uh, or we have 13% of the population, but we've only got uh, 6% of the whatever. Well, that's discrimination discrimination and racism. Well, no, that's not true. And so I'm not just going to go along with this person's feeling of the world because they're mad and they don't know anything about statistics yeah. or economics. I'm not going to give in to that and tell them that they're right and I'm sorry and their feelings are valid. Their feelings aren't valid. It's true that they feel that way. I'm not saying that it's not true you feel that way, but Tim- it's not true. To make it a
3: more fair comparison, maybe they should have just said that Nina Turner can pick crops for free over the summer.
2: <laughs> just a few months. 30% of the time. 30,
3: 25, 30% of the time. Depending the same way she, lives she in. pays yeah. taxes, right? Like tweeting insulin should be free is just this easy feel good tweet.
1: Yeah.
3: It's just virtuous. Pat yourself on the back. Like, look, I'm advocating for people who suffer from diabetes, this horrible disease, to have their medicine for free. Look how good I am.
2: It's not only that. Here's what she's actually saying. She's saying I should be allowed to forcefully take the fruits of your labor, whatever amount we vote on, by the way, and we're just going to change it from time to time. I'm going to send people with guns to your house, and I'm going to forcefully take money, and I'm going to use that to purchase a product for other people and in doing so by the way i'm going to see
3: she's not saying that because she can't think that far ahead
2: i know but here is what the libertarian party of new hampshire read her as saying because it is what she was saying in doing so i'm going to destroy the insulin market and i want to do this for all medicine by the way so i'm going to destroy the market for all medications i'm going to make uh shortages i'm going to make or if we're going to subsidize it the price is actually going to quadruple or 10x over time and be even tougher, which means I'll have to steal even more money from you over time and take even more of the value of your labor and create even more inflation. And I'm going to make the world a better place and actually cause a lot of people to die so I can tweet this thing. And that is what Nina Turner said. And so the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire responded to it. And that is why they said what they said. And so if you look at it that way, I don't think they went far enough. (laughs) All right. I'm going to I'm going to send you all to our interview with Jeremy Kaufman, who's a member of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. Now, uh, Jeremy is is or is not the person who tweeted this. They have a policy where they they don't take credit for each tweets. They have a group of them that tweet. And it's kind of like a collective with their Twitter. So I asked him a bunch of questions. Uh, I was traveling when I talked to him. So you'll hear me cut him with some questions every once in a while. It's going to sound like crap because I was on my phone using AirPods. Uh, but anyway, I I really just left a lot of Jeremy's answers in here because I thought the message and some of his rationale for the tweet were important. So let's hear from Jeremy.
5: This idea, it's, it's trying to get, and it's funny watching people go through this chain of logic. Uh, um, many people went through it for the first time. Uh, over the last couple of days, right? But if you say, you know, oh, I want, uh, I want insulin, uh, to be free or I want healthcare to be free, that requires the labor of other people, right? Even if that direct person is being compensated, even if the, if the, if the fireman is being compensated, uh, for his labor, that money is coming from someone else. And, and how can you produce that money or those resources without there being compulsion without there being the gun in the room the force in the room right that is what it's 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 trying to get you to recognize and that if you put enough steps in, and that if you put enough steps in between you say oh well we raised our hands about the force, so it's democracy or whatever that no that doesn't change the fundamental underlying reality which is that that people are being uh compelled
2: does it bother you to see even libertarians getting upset with this
5: no It doesn't, actually. It's not that surprising. I think it's a minority of them. Uh, And I agree with you completely about uh, the race, the people just folding to attacks of racism. And to be honest with you, while it's not the primary point of this, it is a benefit, I think, for these kinds of things to happen to show that you can have spine and you don't have to fold to these kinds of things because you're giving your you're giving your political opponents uh, a super weapon. If they can cry racism or bigotry and uh, and you now have to just disprove it. You know, that's. I think that's that's ludicrous. You're going to really struggle to make any any political ground if if you're allowing your opponent to behave that way. So I think, you know, racist, sexist, bigoted, whatever. Like, was there something that's untrue here? Is there something? Is it true or not that what Nina Turner is calling for is analogous to slavery? Let's let we we're happy to have that conversation. If you're just going to say, "Rate, cry, racism," like a baby then we, I, don't, I can't talk to a baby, okay, you know? So uh, uh, you know, uh, um, Because, look, I, I'm, uh, we, we, it, it is. The, the libertarians need to, to get over it. There are all kinds of things that are true about the world that are just true. I'm not, I'm not saying they're normatively good. They're just true. And if you're going to let lefties who just don't like these facts about the world cry racism when you point them out, it's going to be really hard to do anything uh and so if we can help pull uh people in that direction and help them get over this uh then great that's another benefit what's going to bother people you're doing it anyway and there and and of course implicit in this is that you can win without bothering people right Uh, (laughs) and i think this is the last part where it's like yeah look you're we're gonna have to bother some people um all right we, we are we're you're not winning through polite persuasion our ideas that we're trying to convince people of are are in many cases well outside the overton window and when people are confronted with ideas that are that alien to them they frequently react emotionally because they have no that they, they you know that's just what people do and you know so our mission is not this this uh, this idea this idea that politics spreads from Uh, like oh like someone just introduces uh, some new good idea and then the masses are like oh yeah well clearly (laughs) like they're like rash like clearly that's a good idea like we could just reason people into it it's like no we're gonna have to drag them kicking and, and screaming um a little bit and the and and the question is more did were there more intelligent competent principled people who you were able to attract is that quantity of people growing or shrinking you know when you do this kind of thing right and so if if if, you know if if that's if if people want to make the case that that's shrinking that we're not but like i think that the the first base that you're going to build uh anything with uh like almost the base that almost anything new and successful is built with is it's going to be a smaller group of of uh mostly men who are relatively independently minded and somewhat comfortable uh uh you know with a little bit of risk and I, I don't mean like high risk like gambling that kind of thing but like you're look at any new any new movement any new anything a new company a new thing right um and the, and so that's what you're doing where the libertarian movement is trying to create this uh uh this ball of energy this ball of momentum this ball of activity and it's trying to bring more people into it who want to be uh, a part of it. And so did, did this behavior help us grow at the margins? Um, I think the answer has gotta be yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, it's weird to me that this topic is so off limits when I feel like I've been seeing people from the left, uh, talk about things like exploitation and wage slavery. And even with, uh, Trump coming into office, I mean, you get Holocaust, Hitler references, uh, all sorts of things like that, where the analogy rarely seems to perfectly line up where this is, you know, we're literally in a holocaust for immigrants or uh, we really have wage slaves or anything like that. But it's okay to say those things if you're pushing the right idea, I guess. It, Isn't that it's weird?
5: Com- it, yeah, it's complete hypocrisy, right? Yes. No one gets mad at the progressive who calls something wage slavery. No one. It's completely fake. It's this one sided weapon. And that's why, that's why you have, like, that's why I really encourage anyone, anyone, anyone with a, a uh spine to get over the racism, bigotry, blah 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 blah. Was it true or was it not? That's all. Was it true or was it not? Look, if you're and or, or or, I mean, I guess if we're going to continue to use those words, then then use them factually, which would be someone displaying specific animus against an individual because of their race or gender or group or whatever, suggesting that you collectivize the provision of some of these services at the scale of millions of people, that they be collectivized across millions of people. Like I really do actually think that that is a, a moral evil that is on not, not saying we can, I don't know if we need to debate whether it's like literally as bad, but yes, we should react to it as importantly as we do slavery. Like that is the moral the the moral impulses that we would want to be instilling in a libertarian order that 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 even, that suggesting that would be like suggesting that someone we go and capture someone and have them pick crops for us that those are actually comparable, uh, comparably morally bad things to be claiming, and that's obviously a huge shift from where uh, we are morally today. But that shift isn't going to happen if you don't say it it's not going to happen if you believe it in your heart but you never put it out there right like it's that whole argument about you know you know do you make the argument against slavery about how this is just an inefficient way of picking cotton or do you just go out there and say that this is this is really evil what you're doing um and when you tell people that they're doing something evil when almost all of them don't regard uh modern democracy and what it produces to be evil then like yeah they're gonna react negatively to that there's no getting around it and so what you actually need is a push pull you need both those people and the kind of people going around being like no 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 no. they didn't mean that they meant something else <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like well, that's like yeah, I- yeah.
2: I totally agree with this because you're talking on moral grounds, which is where what we try to do. I think something that people have messed up on is that even when we talk about free market capitalism, we'll say, well, it's the most efficient use of resources. It's the best thing for the most amount of people, as if uh, if slavery were more efficient, then it would be OK. it's <laughs> yeah. not we we push it because it is the most moral option. And, and gosh darn it, if it isn't amazing, it's also the best option for the most amount of people. That's great.
5: Yeah, people, you yeah, know, well, the truth is people, people kind of flip between these two ethical systems, which we could kind of broadly consider being like more consequentialist or being more, uh, deontological. And like people just flip people. Most people aren't really coherently one. Even most libertarians aren't. to so this idea that libertarians are, you know, I think libertarians do do a better job sort of reconciling their, their philosophical, like where their systems might be in conflict. But even that, you know, you, you probe, you'll find plenty of flaws, you know, find, find plenty of places where, oh, well, you know, it's a little fuzzy. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you're right. Like you're definitely right. There's definitely a contradiction there. There's no doubting that. I and um and I th- I do think we're generally better off leading with the sort of more deontological one, the nap type stuff. Even though I'm I'm. A bit of a nap if i intellectually i'm a bit of a nap skeptic but i think it's a very good argument it's like very simple to get for, mm-hmm. to get people to understand it right and so um uh i think that's all very good but i think if you have consequential stuff in the mix like hey look your free markets work not only are they more ethical they also work like they you know that's that only adds the persuasion um so I, I guess as long as you're not saying they're like that, that them working better is, is sufficient but it is a positive it is, it is like positive evidence. It is, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, and, and that's what I would, I would, um, right. Like, so you know, there are people who are saying, like, to, to bring back to the Nina Turner one, right. So like the, the consequentialist response to the Nina Turner example, not that would be where you're saying, oh, you're right, Nina, but insulin is expensive due to intellectual property and, uh, and the FDA, right. And all these things are, um completely true but if you reply with something like that it's it will get seen and liked by no one you know replying with the provocative thing also let the consequential argument get seen by more people so if like the, if, even if your concern is well i just could the i i just uh want more people to know these this truth about the fact that it is uh government laws that prevent us from importing foreign insulin or its intellectual property or whatever whatever um the well that argument's also getting up and more people are seeing that argument than would have seen that argument otherwise. All
2: right. Thank you all so much for tuning in this evening. Remember you can go to join gmail.com to be a part of the live group discussion. When we're recording, you can go to Bernie lies.com and that'll bring up all of the links for our daily podcast, which is good morning Liberty until then. We'll see you next week.
0: This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com.